Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rain on Your Parade. I know it's been a minute. Um, I had someone in my family pass away. So this is going to take a little bit longer because, you know, it's sad. But, it, you know, I'm just getting through it. You know what I'm saying? I don't even know what to say about it. Because I don't like to bring my personal life into this podcast very much. And I use this podcast, you know, I don't want to... I'm not, I'm not going to really talk about it for a couple reasons. First of all, I don't like to bring my personal life into my podcast. Um, usually, uh, or like personal experiences. Of course, like things in the shows relate to me, and I might talk about it then. But um, just outside things, like if somebody breaks up with me, I'm not going to be on here like talking about it. And this is like really deeply um, personal to me, so... I don't want to talk about it, you know, and not to disrespect that person, but, like, because I, for that reason, I don't like to, like, invade my own privacy like that, and also because later, if I want to listen to these podcasts again for fun ever, I don't want to be, like, reminded of it, of the sad time, you know, like, you know, I just... You know, I don't like to date my podcast with my life events that way, you know, to be like, oh, this is the time I was going through this when I, when I listen to it back later or something, you know. So, um, but I'm just telling you what happened to explain why, you know, this one might be a little bit later because I'm dealing with all that and just personally dealing with it and, and having company and things like that to do. And also, you know, the way I've been, I've, that I've been dealing with a couple, a few sad things in my life is, is doing a Stranger Things fan fiction. It's pretty much taken over my life and it's escapism. And I know the coping, me- I know it's a coping mechanism. I'm okay with that. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm escaping from my actual life and, um, it's been hard to even get things accomplished aside from the fan fiction, just because that's my escape. So it's going pretty well with the fan fiction. <laughs> the fan fiction's going pretty well, but other than that, I haven't accomplished anything. Um, and you know, I really do have serious work that I need to be doing and this podcast, which both happen to be about the same show right now, but, um, you know, of course, I don't have anything against writing fan fiction. It's just that I was in the middle of writing a novel that I wanted to get done, and uh, Stranger Things 4 happened, and I was just like, there's no way I can concentrate on anything. I can't even watch the usual shows that I want to watch, um, like Only Murders in the Building, Camp Cretaceous came back for another season, which I love those. I love both of those shows, but, well, not as much as Stranger Things, but I do love them, and I haven't been able to concentrate on anything but this fan fiction because it's my escape from my life. <laughs> and uh, even like, you know, I had like sort of a breakup and then someone passed away. And so it's like, that drove me deeper into the fan fiction, I think. So that's how I'm dealing with that. Um, but anyway, today we're going to be talking about Season one still, episode six, The Monster. Um, 
and who is this monster? <laughs> Speaking of um, Arya, <laughs> there's a new Pretty Liars out. I'm not interested in watching it. I'm going to watch it. I've been listening to the Birds Watch PLL2 podcast on it. Um, I'm pretty happy to hear they're kind of on my side here being like, what the heck? You know, like, it's, I'm like, if they come on here and act like it's the best thing ever, I'm going to be kind of mad. Um, <laughs> I don't know if those guys listen to my podcast. I listen to theirs all the time. But um, if they ever hear this, like, you guys are my boys and I love it. I, lo- I love how, like, we don't agree on everything. Um, they hated Riverdale, Riverdale from the start. And I kind of liked it at first. I was like, it's campy, though. It's fine. Like, I'm watching it to be entertained. It's not the best thing ever, but, it, you know. And then, looking back, I'm like, they were right all along, honestly. Which, I mean, it did progressively get worse. I saw a clip um, of Cheryl Blossom, and, like, the first words out of her mouth, she's like, I'm going to use my phoenix powers to stop the comet. And I'm like, what the heck is the show now? Like, I stopped watching it, and then, like, 30,000 weird things happened. Like, after I stopped watching it, and I'm like, (laughs) it's just beyond. I'm like, I can't. I'm not even... I don't, I don't even know anymore. I might podcast about that show later on just for, like, just because somebody has to. Somebody has to, like, dig through this garbage and, like, see what's there. Like, you know, I, I just feel like, you know, it should be me because I have a very objective view of it because there's people who love it and there's people who hate it. I started out liking it. And it's like, I'm not trying to hate it. I wanted to like it because I liked it to start with. I defended it a little at first. There are some, like, a couple redeeming qualities. Like, I think Betty and Jughead had a pretty healthy relationship at first, you know. I don't like how the show made them a couple that were, like, not all about couple drama, but they had drama. Like, they were a couple, a solid couple, and then still had drama that was outside the relationship. It was, like, other types of things that I like when shows do that. It's like Hannah and Caleb. It's like, they can be together, but the whole their whole plot line does not have to revolve around their relationship to each other. You know what I'm saying? I like that. Um, and then the way they dealt with the teacher student thing, I liked how they handled it, but it, now looking back, it almost seems like, and I think Benji or James Taylor, uh, mentioned this. It was like, um, almost like a way to like try and feel superior to pretty little liars. Like, well, we're going to do the same thing. Only we're going to do it better, which they did handle that situation better, but it was like only to, only and it was only like it was such a short story arc that it was like we're just putting this in here just to just to do it better than them because we already and it's like you already have hindsight about about, like how people are going to react to this you know what I mean it's not like it's a complicated relationship it's not anything like that it's just you're doing it just to show that you're being you know handling it right or whatever like the things they do, like, they put a sexual assault storyline in the first season, which, I, you know, or maybe it was the second season, but anyway, and they handled it right, but it was, at the same time, it was such a short story arc that it was like, it's it's not even in the show because it's part of the story, and they just wove it in there. It was like, they just put it in there just to be like, this is how you handle this situation, and it's like, just the way they do things, you know what I mean? It's like, we're going to be so woke, you know, (laughs) it's like they're, and it's like, there's nothing wrong with being woke, obviously, but doing it, putting things in the show that don't match with the storyline just to be like, 
look how we handle this situation the right way. And it's like, okay, but it's not, it doesn't feel real or natural or organic. You know what I mean? It feels like you're just only proving a point, you know, like not, you know what I'm saying? Like it is, it's kind of forced and it's like, that's not good writing. And I'm sorry, it's not. I like how they handle some things, but it's like you're just putting the storyline in there for like one or two episodes just to handle it right. And it's like, that doesn't feel organic at all. And it doesn't feel natural. And it's, it's not how it plays out in real life. You know, things are, things look more complicated than that, even though they're handling it right. I feel like, you know, if you weave in something like that randomly, like Pretty Little Liars had the Zach and Hannah thing. And there was a lot of different, like, consequences to that happening. Like, Arya got mad at her, and then, you know, and, and, and it, it felt organic. And so, anyway, I'm not here to talk about Riverdale, but, like, I'm just saying. Uh, but I feel like me doing the podcast about Riverdale is better because I don't totally hate it or I haven't always just hated it and I'm not trying to hate it I never was trying to hate it I wanted to like it but also I don't love it too much to like criticize it you know what I mean I know you know I'm not like blinded by love for the show to its faults you know so it's like I feel like I'm kind of in the middle enough to like actually criticize it accurately and uh you know, it's made me angrier over the seasons, but uh, I'm still going to not hate on things that shouldn't be hated on about it. You know what I mean? Just because I hate the show. Because I don't, you know, it was never my intention to do that. So I feel like I can also look at it from both sides. And so that's why I want to cover that. But anyway, um which I'm not saying you should always be like that with a show. If you love a show and you want to, you, you can love a show and still criticize its faults. I feel like I'm pretty good at that. I, I think, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm not, but I feel like I'm a little bit objective when I'm criticizing something like stranger things or something like I love the show a lot, but you know, I don't think I have a problem with knowing when there's a flaw, you know, like, the first season, I think it, it works better in the first season because they had a smaller budget. I like, which I personally like. I don't know, maybe other people like it more later, but for me, it just feels like the stakes are higher or mo- more real. And the smaller budget gives it this, like, authentic feel. <clears throat> and I feel like, even with a larger budget, I feel like... And they've even said, like, we wanted to expand Hawkins and, like, grow and, like, make a bigger show and it's like okay that's what they wanted to do and that they accomplished it but like I personally like it better when it feels small because it makes the stakes feel realer that's just my personal preference so you know I can criticize it because it's like well I personally don't like that but there are things you know I guess that you can criticize not much, especially in season one, because I'm literally, I literally was thinking about it the other day, and I'm like, what part of season one is not perfect? Is there any line or scene or anything or story arc or character that is not literally fit perfectly every, just like, 
you know, yeah, I was sad that Benny died, but I don't think it's bad writing. Or some people were sad that Barb died, but I don't think it's bad writing. You know, it's like everything in there, even the stuff that I don't like that happened, like them criticizing Nancy or like slut shaming her, like the police criticized, you know, Callahan and, uh, every time Calvin, (laughs) Calvin, (laughs) we, we, we decided we're calling him Calvin. I'm remembering his first name better. I don't know why I can't like, there's some people you can't get their names stuck in your head or something. I don't know. But anyway, um, (laughs) Callahan and, uh, Calvin, the deputies were slut shaming Nancy when they were questioning her about Barb. And it's like, I don't like that they did that, but I don't, I don't think it's bad that the show had them do that because it shows what, you know, like it's not the show's opinion. It's those officers opinion. You know what I'm saying? It's not like the show is slut shaming her. It's, it's them too. And, and it's showing us like how frustrating that is from Nancy's point of view, you know, cause we're on her side. <laughs> so anyway, even the things that happen that I don't like, you know, <laughs> I feel like they're appropriate for the show and they're there for a reason. Um, so anyway, the monster, um, I can't, you know, I'm kind of hyper. So I'm like, let's just get into it and see what happens. I know some of the things that happened in this, we left off, you know, uh, with a lot of things going on and Eleven was just missing. So we don't even know where she's at at this point. Like, um, Nancy was stuck in the upside down or, and the tree was closing in on her. So it was like big cliffhangers. Where's L? Is Nancy going to get stuck in there? Like, it's just a lot of things going on guys. So we're going to start off, um, watching this and see what they mean by the monster. So, yeah, um, get ready for that. I'm going to just start it. (laughs) And here we go again. (laughs) We're starting episode six, The Monster. And hey, guys, I might um, take a break. First thing we hear is Jonathan saying Nancy, uh, which is a relief if you're watching it in real time. and, And it's the first time and you're like, the cliffhanger. What about Nancy? Is she stuck in the upside down? And then they go immediately back to that scene. They don't go to like, I like how they do that because if they leave on a cliffhanger, they, they don't do that thing where they show a scene with another person forever. And that's, I mean, they did that for one episode and I was very unhappy about it, but that's in season two. But, uh, usually they're pretty good about going directly back to the scene that you want them to after the cliffhanger when the next episode starts starts but um after season one of this podcast after I podcast about season one of Stranger Things I might take a little um you know I might end the season of the podcast and then do like a movie and then go back to season two like separate the podcast seasons with the Stranger Things seasons you get what I'm saying um I might go to like season five of the podcast with season two of Stranger Things you know and or start with a movie for season five of the podcast. Because I have a few movies I want to cover. And, um, like Jurassic Park. And, uh, actually I have a list. And, like, if anybody wants to message me and tell me what they want, that'd be cool. I actually was, had another one I was going to write down that I forgot about. And now I can't remember what it was. I knew I was going to forget. <laughs> I'll remember later. 
Oh no, that's not what that is. I'll, let me find my list. You know, I'm gonna be doing um, Jurassic Park, Titanic, Fast and the Furious <laughs> movie, the, just the first one, and just the first Jurassic Park. I think the rest of these are shows. Yeah, I'm not gonna start another show until I'm done with Stranger Things, but you know, I had a few movies in mind, and maybe I'll do Jurassic Park, the first one, or something, but. Um, yeah, and there was another movie I wanted to do, but I can't remember. Anyway, let's just get back to Stranger Things. So, we're back. Uh, Nancy might be stuck in the Upside Down, because she went through a hole in a tree. Um, <laughs> that's just the show. And, uh, Jonathan's running around, like, looking for her. And I'm like, you, whatever. I mean, you don't look down and see a hole in the tree? Okay. <laughs> You're so observant, Jonathan. <laughs> And I've been writing my fan fiction, and I love Jonathan, and so I'm, I'm making him kind of like, you know, how I see him in the fan fiction. I don't know. But anyway, let's get back to it. She's in the Upside Down running around. She can hear him, and he can't really hear her. He can hear her a little bit, um, but she can hear him better. And he's like, follow my voice, Nancy. I'm right here. And, like, she follows his voice. And come on. That's a little romantic. That's a little sweet. Come on. She's still dating Steve at this point, but, um, you know, it's kind of sweet. She makes it out because she followed his voice. She sees the Demogorgon, and it just, like, stops and looks at her. <laughs> like, it's it's kind of, it's funny now. Like, it was scary as heck the first time I watched this. This was terrifying the first time I watched it. Um, but it's, I, I love these guys. I, I don't know that there's a character that I'm supposed to like on the show that I don't like. You know what I mean? They're really good at making you like people. But, um... <sighs> she sees Jim Gorgon and she has to, like, take off. Jonathan finally finds the hole in the tree. And Nancy, like, hides behind the tree in the Upside Down. And there's all these, like, wet things and floaty things. You know how the Upside Down looks. It's so gross. This is traumatizing for her, though. Like, she's in the Upside Down. She's the first person to go there and then, like, come back. You know? Honestly that we see uh that we know of so far <laughs> even well I'm not gonna get into that <laughs> um but yeah okay oh my gosh this is trauma bonding anyway <laughs> so Jonathan <laughs> I'm sorry I don't know why I thought that was so funny but uh <laughs> Jonathan is like getting closer and closer to that hole and he takes his like backpack off like he might consider going through there but it's like I don't even know because it's like is he being brave because he's not going through there or is it like you know it's smarter for him to just wait you know what I mean because it's like then they'd both be you know what I mean but uh he's like Nancy just follow my voice and she turns and like sees that there's that tree with a hole in it close to her and she's still on the upside down and um and then he's getting closer and closer, and then BAM! <laughs> Jump scare! A hand comes out of it, and it's like the squelchy stuff, and basically the tree gives birth to Nancy, and, and like, honestly, that's what it looks like. And so she, she, like, he, her hand sticks out, and he, like, pulls her, and, like, pulls her out, like, the tree is giving birth to her, and when she's out, she, like, jumps on top of him, you know, he, like, pulls her on top of him, and they're, like, laying there. He, like, wraps his arms around her. He's like, I got you, I got you. And she's, like, holding on to him. And it's like, the chemistry is real, guys. <laughs> and it is, because they're together in real life. But, uh, 
Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And he's got her. He's got her. It's fine. No. I mean, it's not, though, because she's traumatized. He's a little scared, but, like, she's for real traumatized because he didn't even, you know, he didn't really. And he's looking at it like, what the heck? It's like, dude, go in there and get Will. What the heck? It's like, if Will could, like, follow the Demogorgon and see when he makes one of these little portals and then wait till he's gone, he could crawl through the portal and come out. He doesn't know to do that, and I'm not criticizing him for not doing it, but, like, if he knew what we know, <laughs> he could do that. <laughs> but, uh, he doesn't. And he, he kind of tried, actually, in the, with, with the ball at Joyce's, so he kind of did try that a little. Um, if she could have somehow... There was, like, a little barrier, but I think they could have probably did something to, co you know, open it. Because it was just a thin sheet of, like stuff and she probably could have broke it somehow maybe with the axe but when she tried with the axe it was like too late you know because it had done closed over there's like a you know a rip in time and space when these portals open and they're portals they're not the gate like the thing she went nancy went through that's not a gate that's just a temporary portal that's not the same thing I just want people to know this. Let's just get this in our minds. The Demogorgon cannot make a gate. The Demogorgon can only make temporary little portals. They close back over and then they're done. The gate continuously stays open until someone purposely closes it. Right? <laughs> or sometimes the gate itself closes. But, you know, like when they tried. I'm not going to get into season three. But, you know, like... Once you open a gate, it's it's an open gate. You know, a gate is a gate. They stay open continuously. A, a portal opens for like a few minutes and closes back up. It's a temporary portal. The Demogorgon can open portals only when there's a gate open. Okay, so the gate is open right now. So there's a gate between worlds that's open. The barrier has broken because the gate is open. Only because the gate is open, a Demogorgon can create portals themselves, right? This is how I picture it, and, and I'm like 99.9% .9 I'm sure I'm right. Because I don't think anybody else is doing this for the Demogorgons, because they're just doing this whenever they feel like it. And the Demogorgon seems to be doing it at their own volition to even get a deer. You know what I mean? I don't think the Demogorgon, there's not some big plan behind the Demogorgon coming to get that deer. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't think... I think the Demogorgon is basically just hunting like an animal at this point. Uh, like, getting the deer and things like that. Will, that might have been planned out, but with the deer and even Barb, I think it kind of was just hunting. <laughs> Maybe even with Will, it was hunting, but it seems to be following him specifically around the Upside Down. Well, the plan to implant some whatever. I'm... But anyway, with the deer, it's definitely just hunting like an animal would. And I think the Demogorgon is like just an animal on its own. <clears throat> but we're not going to get into all that until later because we can't. Because then I'd have to talk about certain characters that I can't talk about. Anyway, <laughs> I'm trying to keep this, you know, spoiler free for future episodes. So anyway, Nancy and Jonathan are hugging and he's like, I got you. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I shipped this. I shipped this so bad in season one. I was like, yes, I want them together. It just felt more real and more real. You know, it felt like an actual relationship instead of just like, 
oh, I kind of like you because you're cute, you know, or whatever. Like, Steve is cool and fun and nice and everything, but I just don't feel like it, there was anything real behind it or deep. And this feels better. Anyway. <sighs> Jonathan watches the portal close, and he looks, you know, confused. Because, you know, it's a portal to another dimension. You would be a little confused. <laughs> Why is it so fun to say the name Sean Levy? I like Sean Levy a lot. <laughs> if he ever hears this, hi, you're great. <laughs> I do like that name. I like saying it, Sean Levy. Because it looks like it'd be Levy, and I don't know, I'm dumb. I love this about Steve. Okay, so he's so we come back after the title card, and it's called The Monster. And uh, Steve and Carol and Tommy are driving around. He's going to Nancy's and she's all, Carol's all, I don't know why we're coming out here. And he's like, she's like, she obviously doesn't want to talk to you. And he's like, that's not it. Something's wrong. And she's like, because nobody would ever turn down, no girl would ever turn down King Steve. And they're like laughing at him. But Steve is like concerned. He's like, no, no, that's not it. It's, it's, it's you know, when I was talking to her, I could tell something was wrong. And like, Props to you, Steve. You're better than Jason. <laughs> you can tell when something's wrong with your girlfriend. Um, <laughs> and we're not going to get into Jason, but, you know, in the future. Like, come on. So, this is good, though. Like, this is... He's not a bad boyfriend. He knows something's wrong, wrong. And it's not... He doesn't care about himself or their relationship at this moment. He's worried about her. Like, he's he's more concerned with her being okay than he is with her like, whether she likes him or not. You know what I mean? And you can tell that. And Carol's like, so what? <laughs> like, you're worried about her? And it's like, okay, wow. <laughs> what the heck? What's the problem? Like, these people suck. Carol and Tommy are the worst, honestly. I don't even know why he hangs out with them. Honestly. I'm like, why are you even friends with these people? So, anyway, he's worried about her, though. He's actually worried. And, uh, which is, like, caring of him. See, he's not really a jerk. I'm just saying, like... Up to now, I haven't seen him be that much of a jerk. Like, except for the thing about, like, oh, I'm worried I'm going to get in trouble for drinking or whatever. But it's like, that's typical teenage stuff. He's not a jerk. You know? <laughs> like, he's so far, he's not a jerk. Um, so, anyway. <laughs> Steve is always... I, I stand by it. I don't think Steve was ever a bad person. I think he... I, I don't think he was ever a bad person. At all. And, uh... You know, he had this reputation for being King Steve and he was cool at school and everybody thought he was cool. But it's like, you know, you're just, <laughs> I, don't, I don't think he was ever mean, really. So anyway, I mean, he says and does mean things a little later, but like one time because he was mad. Who doesn't do that doesn't mean he's a jerk, you know. <laughs> so anyway, he's worried about Nancy and he's like worried about her safety and not like. She has to like me. You know, it's it's an actual concern. And so, yeah, that's good. Good boy, Steve. <laughs> Steve is great. He always has been. Anyway, I'm just saying, like, it's very obvious. They're, like, making fun of him for caring about someone. And it's like, that's a little weird. You guys are sadist. They're, like, psychopaths. He is pretty athletic. He's climbing up. He just goes and hops up on a roof. Like, he is good at this. I don't... You know, I don't know if it's Joe, but it's still Steve. It's like, he's pretty athletic. Uh, he climbs up in the roof and looks in the window, but like, yikes. It's not what he expects. 
So he sees her sitting on the bed beside of Jonathan, and Jonathan's putting a towel over her shoulders, and it's, I mean, it looks bad, but honestly, it's, you know, it's not what it looks like. It's nowhere, he, he couldn't even imagine what this truly is. It's like, oh, Jonathan was just helping you after you got out of an alternate dimension? Like, <laughs> yeah, nobody's gonna think that. But uh, Steve is hurt, and I kind of feel bad for him, but not really, because it's like, I don't think... You know, it sucks that he's hurt, but, like, I don't think he should be with Nancy. You know what I'm saying? I'm not like, ha-ha, Steve. I'm just like, oh, well, this sucks for you, but I think they are better together, and you just got to move on. <laughs> I still think that. Um, okay, so he's hurt, though, and that kind of sucks. Because especially now that I know Steve better, and it's like, oh, sad Steve. I don't like it because <laughs> I like him even more now. Because um, in the first season when I first watched it, I was like, yeah, but I don't want her with him. You know, I was kind of, I didn't know him that well. I didn't think he was that much of a jerk, but I was just like, oh, he's turning out to be pretty cool most of the time. I thought he was supposed to be a jerk. You know, they set it up like he's going to be a jerk, but, you know, but I, yeah, I didn't hate him. I just was like, I want her with Jonathan, so get away, Steve. <laughs> but now that I know Steve even better, I'm like, oh, poor Steve. But, like, you know, that's how it goes. I don't, I definitely don't wish she would have stayed with him. But anyway, <clears throat> so he's all sad about that. And then we go to some newspapers and a bunch of just stuff laying around. So we go back to Joyce's house and Hopper, you know, after he has checked her entire house and all her Christmas lights for bugs and has not found any. Um, my gosh, that was a task and a half. Uh, so he, he, uh, he has told her what he saw in the lab and everything and, uh, you know, all the stuff. He's filled her in on all his stuff and she's, you know, they're both filled, on, filled in on each other's crap. And she wants him to tell her again what she, he saw at the lab. And he's like, upstairs or downstairs? And she's like, upstairs. So she's going to figure some stuff out, too, and help him a little bit. That is such a typical lampshade over her table. That that light over her table. It's so typical. I remember those. Uh, I haven't seen it. I, I never saw any in anybody's house. Usually I saw them, if they were like that, they were over, like, a pool table at a bar. Because they kept them there longer than people kept them in their house, I guess. I'm not that old, guys. I'm just not. I don't remember. This, right, I wasn't born yet when this was happening. Like, in 83, I was not born yet. And I'm kind of glad. <laughs> it's like, I don't feel too old because I wasn't even born when this stuff was happening, supposedly. Um, so, no, I don't remember. The, but I live in a small town in the backwoods. <laughs> so, like, a lot of the stuff that happened in the 80s only got to us in the 90s. So most of this stuff is 90s stuff to me because I live where things didn't get here soon. Shoot, I didn't even know about Reese's Pieces until, like, I was a teenager, honestly. I thought they were a new thing. I didn't, I was watching E.T. and I'm like, how are those Reese's Pieces? Did they even exist yet? And so I was like, yeah, they were out a long time ago. And I'm like, they didn't come to my area until I was, like, a teenager. So yeah, we got stuff a lot later than everybody else, but so I do kind of relate to 80s things because of that, but actually, I was not born yet when this was happening. Which means I couldn't <laughs> be friends with these people. They were, like, that's kind of crazy to me, because they seem, the kids seem like kids, because they are, but, like, if we, if this was reality, and actually, at, in the 80s, th that it says it is, like, L would be, like, t t 13, 14, 
like 14 years older than me or something. That's crazy to me. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah. Jonathan and Nancy could be my parents. <laughs> oh, gosh. Like, Hopper and them could be my grandparents. That's insane. That's weird. I mean, technically, they could. Like, Joyce is Jonathan's mom. Jonathan's old enough to have a kid. Joyce could be my grandmother. <laughs> like, seriously. <sighs> That's insane. <laughs> that, that seems weird to me, because I feel, in the show, she's, like, not much older than me. Uh, her character's not much older than I am now, in the 80s. You know what I'm saying? But, uh, but actually, if this was real life, in the 80s, she, she's old enough to be my grandmother. <laughs> Like, if, like, in real life, now the Joyce of Joyce existed. Like, that's insane. <laughs> I don't know why I'm thinking about this. But anyway. <laughs> I'm just thinking about other characters, too, that I have a crush on. I'm like, I couldn't even date what's-their-face because they would be, like, 20 years older than me. 19 years older than me. I mean, that's okay. I'll probably still date them. <laughs> oh, no. But anyway. He tells her about the kids' room, and she's like, how do you know it was a kids' room? And he's like, it was more like a prison. And she's like, how do you know it was a kids' room? And he was like, I told you. I had a stuffed animal, a small bed, there was a drawing. She's like, you didn't say there was a drawing. He's like, yeah, I did. And she's like, was it good? Like, the drawing? He's like, no, stick figures. She's like, that wasn't Will. And she goes and gets one of Will's drawings, because he's really good at drawing. So it's like, smart. So, oh, freaking, yeah. <laughs> I get excited. She's smart as heck. I love it. Stick figures. <sighs> He, he said there was 11 on it, and it's like, oh, yeah, I love hearing him talk about 11, because it's like, you don't even know what you're in for, mister. He's like, it's stick figures. It was kids' drawings. She gets up. She goes and grabs one of Will's drawings. Oh, she shows him it wasn't Will, and he, he knows. He immediately is like, Earl. He said there was a kid at Benny's with no hair. Uh, yeah. And then he starts thinking about Terry Alves, how they said she, they stole Terry Alves' kid. He's figuring it out. I, oh, oh, I love when people figure stuff out. <laughs> he tells her about Terry and Jane. How Terry lost Jane. And Dr. Brenner took Jane from her. And he's like, what if this whole time I've been looking for Will? I've been chasing after the wrong kid. And it's like, the wrong kid, though? I think you're chasing the right one. <laughs> I mean, you should be trying to find them both. But uh, you have no idea what you're in for. <laughs> like I love it oh so he, he they're both trying to find both of them at this like he he's trying to find both of them at this point honestly he he's he's totally in this like you know place of like yeah I'm gonna look for Will but like there's also another kid running around who got kidnapped you know so it's like well I love Hopper he's a good cop he's a good detective you know he might punch people too much but you know never just like <laughs> you know what I mean like you know Compared to, like, reality, he's very good, because <laughs> he chooses to punch the right people. <laughs> you know, people, well, I don't know, I don't know if that's the right, at least that's all he does. He's like, I'm just gonna punch you right now, just because I need to get by you, but, like, I'm not gonna, like, be, like, excessive about it. At least we got that going for us. Um, <clears throat> and this is the 80s. But at least he's a good detective, and he actually does try to help people. And he's a real... I, I, I feel like if he was the sheriff in my town, I'd be, like, so happy. I'd be like, the, our sheriff is cool. Like, he's not gonna bust you for smoking weed. You know what I mean? Like, he's just not. I just don't think he would. <laughs> I just don't think he would. Uh, depending on the kid. If the kid was acting like a jerk, he might... You know, if the kid was, like, bullying some other kid, he might. But, like, 
hey, like, Jonathan smoking weed, Hopper's not gonna give a crap. You know what I'm saying? Like, can you see that? He would not give a crap. Nancy takes a shower to get the upside-down placenta off her body, and she's having, like, flashbacks and, uh, <laughs> and stuff in the shower, and it's just, she's, like, traumatized, you know, she's traumatized. And, uh, I can't believe what she's seen and all this stuff, and, um, she goes back in her room. Oh, there is a Tom Cruise poster. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I just, uh, anyway, so Jonathan's, like, rolling out a sleeping bag or blanket or something, and he's like, is this okay? I just figured, and she's like, no, no, stay, I don't want to be alone. He's like, he, like, nods, and that's what he figured. He's like, yeah, I don't either. And so he's gonna spend the night on the floor, because, I mean, but it's not, I mean, there's some tension there, but it's, it's mostly, like, trauma bonding, like, we are the only people that know about this, and I don't want to be alone, even if there was other people it's not the same as being with someone who knows what you're going through actually. And, and that's, you know what I mean? That's why they're bonding so much. And that's kind of like, <clears throat> you know, it's not just that they like each other. It's like, we need to stick together because she can't go to Karen, you know, her mom or anybody else because nobody else knows what she's going through exactly as much as Jonathan does. And, uh, so, yeah, they need each other right now. And it's like, Steve, they're not, she's not even doing anything wrong. It's like she's trying to save the world. Or save Hawkins or whatever. She's trying to stop a monster. So, you know. <laughs> so she gets in bed and Jonathan lays down on the floor and she's like, could you just come up here? And he's like, oh, crap. But I know how she feels. You know what I mean? Like, she's not trying to get with him. She, I know exactly how she feels. It's just, you know, it's like, I can't explain it exactly but it's like just wanting to be closer to somebody who just being scared you know and wanting somebody to be there and, and i understand it people are like she's so slutty and i'm like she's not she's traumatized i'm sorry like come on give the girl a break she's only like 16 i've been trying to figure out like i get so confused about what grades these people are in and it's just hard and i figured it out but like when i try to remember again i'm like wait no who was a junior when he was a senior and blah, blah, blah. It's really confusing, but I did have it figured out at one point. So I know it works, but I'm just saying like, what is she? A, she's a, she's not a junior yet. She's a, she's a sophomore right now. Her and Jonathan are sophomores, I think right now in season one. I'm pretty sure <laughs> I'll get back to you on that. Johnny's got a gun. <laughs> Jonathan's got a gun with him because you know, they just saw a monster, so <laughs> the gun is kind of his safety net, <laughs> his safe, his his security blanket. <laughs> He's like, you want the lights on or off? And she's like, definitely on. <laughs> I mean, yeah, after that, you would definitely want that. She's so tiny, I swear. Natalia's so little. Um, appropriately placed pillow between them. <laughs> so uh he's laying in the bed and he's like you know it can't get us in here and she's like we don't know that because they have kind of figured out that the demogorgon has shown up in like a few places near the lab but not like any further but they think there's like an area that it can't go past which they might be right about um well i don't know it did get to the school but anyway um, she's like, we don't know that. And they don't know that. And I don't know that. <laughs> uh, so <clears throat> it doesn't seem like it's traveling much beyond the gate, though. I don't, I just think it probably doesn't even want to, but for now. 
But, uh, so he turns over and, like, grabs his gun tighter because she says that. And he, he's scared, too. And, uh, he turns over on his side and, like, stares at her. But there's an appropriately placed pillow right between them. So it's all chased, you guys. It's just chased. And it's not what you think. I mean, there's tension there. There's definitely tension there for the audience. We start shipping it, obviously. But, uh... They're not really thinking about that that much. It's kind of underneath all this. And they're not really concerned with that right now because they just saw a monster um, from another dimension. So they're kind of a little bit stressed about that. And uh, so they're not, it's not, it's, she's not cheating and she's not slutty. I'm just saying she's not a slut. I wish people would not act like that about her because it's like, come on now. But um, yeah, I'm pretty sure she's a sophomore. I'm pretty sure her and Jonathan are sophomores and Steve's a junior. So, yeah. Mike and all of them are in 7th grade, I'm pretty sure. Or 6th grade. 7th grade. <laughs> because, uh, yeah, they're in 7th grade. Because the next year they're in 8th grade and then they're in high school, so yeah. Because we're in the 4th season, right? And so, for the first season they're in 7th grade, and then in the second season they're in 8th grade. The third season it's summer break between 8th and 9th grade. And then for fourth season, they're in ninth grade. You know, they're starting high school. And same goes for Steve and Nancy. Like, she's a sophomore. And then season two, she's a junior and Steve is a senior. And then summer break. So neither. They're, they're in between, you know. So, and then in fourth, that Steve has graduated. And, uh, well, in the summer... In season three, Steve has graduated, and Nancy's on her way to becoming a senior the next year. So in season four, she's a senior, and Steve has graduated. So I got it all figured out. I just It's just hard. Because <laughs> there's so many different kids, too, to keep track of. So it's like, it's not just one set of kids. It's like all of them in different grades. And Jonathan, and like in, in season four, Jonathan and Nancy are seniors. I thought they would have graduated already, but... I was forgetting that, like, season three was only during the summer. So it was, like, the summer between Nancy's junior and senior year. So, yeah, it works. They didn't mess up. It's just very confusing. Mike is sitting in the basement sad that Elle left. But it's like, you yelled at her. You kind of deserve this a little bit. And then he goes and, like, knocks down her little tent under the table in his basement and starts kicking the blankets and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay. Throwing a little tantrum. <laughs> I'm a little salty still about him yelling at her. And then um, we go to Hopper and he's on a payphone. Remember those? Uh, and he's like, Terry Abs. Yeah, that's with a Y. Get it? If you ever write about Terry Abs, it's Terry with a Y. We've got clear confirmation of that. <laughs> so Terry Abs. He's looking for Terry Abs, which is Eleven's mother, obviously. And uh, he's smoking a cigarette. It was all very cute. I. They kind of toned down them smoking in the last season, and I'm like, I wish, I kind of wish they wouldn't do that. <laughs> I mean, I understand why, but it's also like, I mean, come on, let people do things. <laughs> in these old shows, just for artistic purposes, come on now. But anyway, I mean, I'm not saying I'm against being woke, but like, it's a cigarette. You know what I mean? Like, it's not, you know, something that's going to offend somebody. Anyway. Him and Joyce are in her little pea green car, and like he gets Terry's address, and he gets in the car, and Joyce is with him. So we're like, yes, Joyce is with him. You know, it was kind of like team ups. I love these team ups. So they take off, and they're going to find Terry. He obviously knows the guy he was talking to. Jonathan wakes up, and Nancy's bed, and he's confused. 
Like, you slept with a gun. You should be more careful. Anyway, <laughs> Nancy's already up. She's researching. And uh, she's studying about this. She's trying to figure some stuff out. She's smart as heck, honestly. Um, so anybody out there slut-shaming her and acting like all that, like, our girl is super smart. Like, don't even. <laughs> we, we love Nancy. She's a smart girl, and don't. She's way more than, like, who she's dating, you know? So she's doing some research to try and figure this thing out, <clears throat> which is smart to do and helpful in the long run. So, yeah, good job. She's pretty much always doing the right thing. <laughs> pretty much, you know? Okay, so she tells him she can't sleep. She, every, time, every time she closes her eyes, she sees that thing. And she's like, it was feeding, uh, you know, she's like, that place I was at, I think it lives there. It was feeding on that deer. And she's like, that means Will and Barbara. And it's like, be a little sensitive about his brother. But then he's like, well, my mom said she talked to Will. So if he's alive, then there's a chance that Barbara is too. There's a chance, but okay. <laughs> but, uh, so we haven't seen or heard from Barbara, you know? So anyway, <clears throat> she's like, he's like, you want to go back out there? And she's like, uh, figuring stuff out. And she's like, it, it hunts at night like a coyote, but it doesn't hunt in packs. And, you know, it hunts alone like a bear. But then, you know, she's like, remember Barb cut her hand at Steve's, so, and that deer was bleeding. She's like, sharks can detect blood from, like, a little bit of blood and from so far away, blah, blah, blah. And uh, she's like, maybe we can, like, lure it to us. And Jonathan's like, you know, it'll come to us. You know, that they're all talking about it. And she's like, at least we'll know it's coming. And uh, then somebody knocks, like, rattles the door and knocks. And they, like, jump and, like, grab each other's hands and are, like, holding hands. And Karen is trying to get in the room. And it's like, come on, Karen. You're interrupting. <laughs> They're bonding over trauma. Okay. So. And monster hunting. Which is, like, one of my favorite things Nancy ever said. Um, so, Karen's trying to get in. And she can't. But. <laughs> they see that they're holding hands and, like they kind of pull away a little bit and Jonathan's like your mom doesn't knock she like laughs because I guess she didn't knock she just ran on the door and she's like there's blueberry pancakes and Nancy's like I'll be down in a second you know all that stuff and uh they're cute I'm sorry they're cute I ship it I'm, I'm re-shipping it it's like this is why I love them come on guys re-watch the show I ship this like I know he did the thing that he did but like come on anyway it's cute. We see someone else knocking on someone's door, and it's this bitch. Uh, <laughs> sorry, but oh, I don't like her. I don't even know her name. I don't think we ever learned her name, but Mr. Clark opens the door, and it's that bitch that shot Bo Benny. Don't, like, don't let her in your house. Don't let her in your house. She's not going to shoot Clark, Mr. Clark, but <laughs> this is a smart move of Hawkins' lab, because they sent her over, and are like, she's pretending like, you know, she's into science and AV and like they're trying to recruit smart students for their science camp or some crap. She even has a professional looking pamphlet. Let me tell you something. <laughs> These people know how to scam people, okay? This is in the 80s. I'm not saying this is real, but like th they did stuff like this. You know, this is not hard to do. Make up a little pamphlet, make it look legit. It's not really that hard to do. I don't know. I was just talking to somebody recently about uh, Vanity Press. 
because <laughs> I'm an author, you know, and I self-publish, and people come to me like, I want to self-publish too, how much does it cost? And I'm like, nothing. And they're like, <clears throat> I'm self-publishing, why would it cost anything? And they're like, well, I have this company that wants me to self-publish with them, and they want me to pay them thousands of dollars. And I'm like, that's not self-publishing. And it's not traditional publishing, it's vanity press. <sighs> how many times? How many times? And, like, I'm not going to get into it, but just saying. But, and they're like, they have a website, so they have to be legit. I'm like, scammers can't make a website? Scammers can't make a flyer? You know, they got a little pamphlet here, and it reminded me of that, and it kind of ticks me off that people are like, you know, and they ask you about it. And it, really what they want to do is tell you that they have somebody asking to publish them because they think it's a brag or something. And I'm like, how many times do you think they've tried to get me to pay them? You know, which I don't submit to them unless it's on accident, you know, because I have accidentally submitted to them thinking it was something else. I would never purposely submit to Vanity Press, but I have accidentally, you know, submitted work to them and they've been like, oh, you have the best writing, blah, 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 blah. And like they give you all these compliments because it's called Vanity Press for a reason. They appeal to your vanity and you're like... You know, what? You want to publish me? And they're like, yeah, only if you pay us. I'm like, oh, there it is. No. Nope. <laughs> not paying you a dom. That's not what publishers do. Okay? <laughs> you want to hire me as my publisher, but you want me to pay you? Girl, would I go to Walmart and beg them to let me give them money to let me work there? No. It's the same thing. Publishers just are hiring. Real publishers are, like, hiring you. Why would you pay them? Whatever. But anyway, <laughs> I get on tangents about, don't get me started on that. But anyway, I'm like, but it, it's legit because they have a website? Like a scammer can't make a website? Come on now. Come on now. Be a little bit, be a little bit more skeptical. I don't want to say they're stupid, but, you know, they appeal to your vanity and you feel all good about yourself because you think you're getting published. But I, I know the feeling, it, it's, 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 you know, it's like, it's hard to accept that it's not real, but... You know, be realistic. <laughs> Don't give these people your money. They're, you, you know. But anyway. <clears throat> Here this bitches. That's all. I'm sorry. I don't usually cuss on my podcast as much as I try not to, but <sighs> I don't know her name. And that's what I want to call her because she is, she is, a, she's the worst. She's the worst. She might be, her and Brenner, equal footing, don't like them. And I'm going to call her that. This bitch right here. <laughs> is giving Mr. Clark the business and telling him that they have this Hawkins, Indiana, AB of Indiana, you know, they have a newsletter, the kids write articles themselves, which would be really cool. And he's like, well, that's really neat. And I'm like, Mr. Clark, you're the cutest guy ever, but you're getting scammed <laughs> into telling her. And she's like, do you know any kids that might be interested? And he's like, oh, I might. And I'm like, don't do it. Cause they know, you know what I mean? Like in the last episode, the that Eleven was with the AV students in the AV room, so this is a good... They're really smart about this, but I don't like it. I mean, they're, they're the, the bad guys, but they are kind of smart um, by doing this, but they even made up a little pamphlet here. Like, <laughs> this took a day for them. It's so easy for them to scam people like this, and she's not going to shoot him or whatever. She just wants the names of these kids so she can, like... It's the government. They're tracking people down. It's whatever. It's very annoying. Yeah, I'm sure you do. She's like, you know any kids that might want to participate? And he's like, oh, I have a few in mind. Like, dude, I know he's, I mean, he, poor thing. He's gotten scammed totally. But 
he would never put these kids in danger on purpose. Poor thing. But <sighs> come on, Scott, be a little bit skeptical. I mean, but why would you? too like you can't blame him because honestly why would she she's doing a good job of acting like this is legit like there is no reason for him to think this is suspicious all he's doing is giving her names of kids that might want to pursue a career in technology you know it seems so legit (laughs) but i mean she did just randomly show up at your house (laughs) why would that happen why wouldn't she come to the school i but okay okay why would he suspect this because why would he you know just saying, but still. <sighs> He's giving her the names of all the people they're trying to track down so they can kidnap a child again. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> oh, man. Kind of frustrating, but we can't blame Mr. Clark because he didn't know. How would he? But still, it's like, oh, don't. Don't give her the names. Uh, Dustin's riding his bike over to Mike's. And uh, he wants to go look for Eleven. Mike wants... They want to all go, you know, blah, blah, blah. Because Eleven's still missing. Mike's like, she said it wasn't safe. She was just doing that to protect us. He's like, I never should have yelled at her. Thank you, Mike. I'm glad you came to the same conclusion I did. (laughs) Okay. Now I'm not mad at you anymore because you said that you shouldn't have yelled at her because you shouldn't have. And, uh... (laughs) Dustin's like it's not your fault and he's like you're right it's Lucas's and I'm like uh I think it's more Mike's fault than Lucas's because Elle can handle Lucas yelling at her and maybe even the fact that she like threw him across the you know yard junkyard if 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 her other friends have been supportive about it and told her it was okay you know but they couldn't at the moment it wasn't okay but (sighs) Mike yelling at her was the thing that really drove her away it really is because he was the one that was supposed to be on her side she could handle lucas and dustin you know not being you know happy with her or whatever but mike doing it too that was the last straw she couldn't handle that and i think it's not like okay it's not totally mike's fault because like he was stressed because lucas was possibly dead because he wasn't awake you know what i mean but at the same time you know yelling at her like that I mean, he's a kid, and he's not going to handle it right, but it still makes me salty, okay? It still makes me salty, and it doesn't change the fact of how it makes her feel. And so, you know, if we look at things from her perspective, it kind of was Mike's fault, because he was supposed to be the one on her side, you know? So it's like, eh, I think it's more Mike's fault than Lucas's, because Lucas was just saying what he said all along. He hasn't, you know, he hasn't promised to be, you know, he hasn't made a promise to like support her and stuff you know what I mean even unspoken promises that Mike seemed to care for her and be on her side well you know he kind of like broke that promise by yelling at her so it's like it was an unspoken promise that I'm going to be on your side but Lucas never made that kind of like action towards her so (laughs) you know he's going to be mad at her he never said he wouldn't be mad at her you know what I mean like he never acted like he wouldn't be suspicious vicious of her or whatever Mike did Mike acted like he was on her side so it's like Mike you made an unspoken promise to be on her side about things Lucas never did so I think the responsibility was kind of on you honestly I mean they're kids and this is very complicated but you know uh Dustin actually is the pretty correct about a lot a lot of stuff because uh Mike says it's Lucas's fault and he's like it wasn't his fault either 
or Eleven's. It was all your fault. You were both acting, you were all three acting like jerks. He's like, I was the only one who was acting like a normal person. And honestly, he's not wrong. <laughs> I mean, he, did, he was trying to handle everything pretty calmly and nobody else was. And so I guess he's right. I have to reluctantly agree <laughs> that he was right yet again. He's like, I'm always right. You guys need to, it's his, it's his tone, right? It's his tone. <laughs> no, but uh, yeah, he, he's, he is right. So Dustin says, you were all three acting like little assholes and I was the only reasonable one. And it's like, I mean, yeah, kind of. And uh, he's like, but the, the bottom line is you pushed first. So you got to apologize first, basically, because Mike is the first one to push him like physically. Okay. Like he kind of started the fight because he pushed him. So, okay. They have this rule. You draw first blood. You, you apologize. All right, whatever. They have a little rule already set up. And he's like, where are we going? And he's like, we're going to Lucas's, and then we're going to go find Eleven. So, like, Dustin's wants everybody to get along. You know, he doesn't want anybody to be fighting with anybody else. <laughs> so I'm kind of, yeah, he's right. Like, he didn't do anything wrong, and he's perfect as usual. <laughs> it's annoying because he's always right. Uh, I love that little kid. I love that. I love Dustin uh, a lot. <laughs> and he's right. Yeah, I have to concede. He is absolutely correct, and he was being pretty reasonable. He wasn't flying off the handle at anybody. I mean, he kind of just stood there, but it's like, he if they would have let him talk, he probably could have worked it out. But, uh, <clears throat> I don't think Eleven was being as unreasonable, because she was just kind of standing there and was like, I'm sorry that I... She messed with the compasses. She probably should have maybe told them, like, it's not safe, but they wouldn't have listened anyway, so it's like, how does she explain this? You know what I mean? Like, how does she explain why it's not safe? Like, and plus she was kind of hiding the fact that she's ashamed of the gate because she created the gate. So <clears throat> she was kind of not just cover. She was protecting them, but also she was kind of protecting herself from them finding out that she created the gate because she feels bad about creating the gate because she kind of caused all this, you know, she didn't cause all this, but <clears throat> she did, you know, accidentally and it's not really her fault that she caused all this but you know it's definitely not her fault but it's still she feels bad because she was instrumental she was she was the tool for causing this really more than anything um it's not your fault you're a hammer <laughs> i mean honestly she, she she was the tool that caused this she wasn't really the person that caused this she definitely didn't do it on purpose uh but she still feels bad. And, uh, so we cut to a flashback and she's in bed and we don't know it's a flashback yet. So when you're first watching it, you're like, did she get trapped again? What the heck? But it's a flashback. Um, the door opens and she's in her little prison room that Hopper was talking about. I totally am on board. Same Hopper's like, it was a kid's room. Well, actually it's more like a prison. And I'm like, seriously, there was, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a bare white room with no color. Like I, I already had this rant. But I agree with him. Yeah, it sucks. Somebody opens the door and she looks frightened and starts breathing hard like she's scared just because Brenner came in her room. <sighs> what does this imply? You know what I mean? Like, she, she's not... She's not used to being at the lab just because she's always been there. She's not used to Brenner just because he's always been around. She's still frightened of him. <sighs> and then you look at the room... Like, she's always been in this room. Always. Like, I, oh gosh, it really just bothers me so much. And he brings her a flower. 
I would knock him over the head with it. <laughs> she would knock him over the head with that flower. And uh, he's like, today is a very special day. Today is the day we make contact. He knows what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. I'm up. Uh, and he put, he like touches her nose and she, she looks a little concerned and frightened. And then we come back from the flashback and she like raises up and she's all dirty and in the woods. And she's like, I guess she's dreamed this and she's waking up from the dream like scared because that's what started this all, you know, it's that conversation basically. Brenner. Oh, gosh, he, he did all this. This is all his fault. It really is. It is all his fault. Like it's all it, Brenner is ultimately the guy who's to blame for this. All of this. Honestly, I don't care what anybody says. He could have stopped this a long time before it even started. But no. So, I don't have any sympathy for that man. I just, I do not. I don't care. Like, <laughs> and I love uh, Matthew Modine. And I know Matthew Modine kind of sees a different side of it. But I don't. <laughs> I don't care. <laughs> like, I love Matthew Modine as an actor. But dang. I don't see any sympathy for this man. He, he could have prevented all this. And he is purposely trying to get her to contact this thing she saw in there. He knows what he's doing. I'm, uh, I'm mad about it. But anyway, Levin wakes up in the forest. <clears throat> As she will many times. And, uh, it's just... Sorry, but seriously. And, uh, she's got on a coat. I could, that must be Mike's. Um, yeah. She's not happy. I love the scene, because she doesn't say a word. She's on the forest floor. She looks around. She gets up. She's carrying her little wig. Because her wig has fallen off. And, uh, <clears throat> she takes that little blonde wig and she goes and sits down at the lake and looks in the water. And she sees that the wig is gone, you know. She doesn't like how she looks. She's dirty again. She's not got hair again, you know, and everything's messed up. Everything's messed up. And it's not, it's not that she doesn't like how she looks. It's that what she sees does represents how messed up things have gotten. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's all psychological, and it's all about, you know, her actual feelings and her trauma. Her shaved head is her trauma. It's not, I want to be pretty. It's it's trauma from her entire life. Like, y'all, you know, don't be sitting there being like, oh, she cares about is being pretty. No. <laughs> That's not the thing. It's what the shaved head represents to her. It represents her trauma. And, and the little bit of happiness she had was with Mike and with the wig on. And where she kind of looked normal. She felt normal for once. She felt like a normal kid for once. You know, that wig represented her feeling normal for once and having friends. She's lost her friends. She tries to put the wig on and it just doesn't look right because it's all messed up. She takes it off and just stares at herself and just like screams into the water. And there's ripples and birds fly away, you know, because she's, you know. And it's like... Things are messed up, and she is messed up, and she is, she's got a glimpse, and this is, has to be very hard for her, and this is kind of what I was going through when I watched this the first time, where she had no one, she fit in nowhere, and then she met these boys who kind of accepted her, Mike especially, and they fixed her up and made her look like she fit in. And she kind of fit in. For a moment, she had a glimpse of hope that she might be able to fit in. But then she messed up. And so, and they rejected her, even Mike. So she's alone again. 
completely alone. And her hope is gone. Like, to her, her hope is gone. This is so sad and tragic right now. Like, the, the, the sadness that she has to be feeling right now. Just, you know, I had a glimpse of hope that I might find somewhere to fit in and be normal and have and and feel normal and have people accept me but no I will never fit in because I hurt somebody because I can't control my own powers that sucks <laughs> you know and that's what she's upset about it's not just like oh I wanted to be pretty and I can't because the wig is messed up no there's so much going on here that's psychological you know and maybe she doesn't even understand it all but that's what's happening so, she's upset. Her friends have rejected her because she can't control her powers. She will never fit in with them. She feels like she's dangerous to them. And <clears throat> it sucks. Anyway, so we go back to the Wheeler residence. I can't believe I have to explain all this. And I've seen so many people say things about Eleven that really ticked me off. Because they're like, all she cared about was being pretty. And I'm like, um... <laughs> You watched that whole season and didn't realize all the psychological implications of being a child who was raised completely in torment with nothing in her life but a cold white room? You don't think that's trauma? That alone is traumatizing, not, a, not to mention the abuse. Even aside from all the abuse and trauma that she went through with all the other things she went through, just living in that stone-cold white room her entire life with no mother to hold her, nobody to sing to her, nobody to tell her she, you know, they loved her or anything like that. In her developmental years, that alone is traumatizing enough. Let alone all the abuse on top of it, getting locked in solitary confinement, begging to be let out. And the only person that she has any emotional contact to is Brenner. The only source of love she has is Brenner. Her whole life. And you're going to sit there? <laughs> no. You know? This girl, I'm, I don't care. I don't care. Like, no, no, you're not gonna sit there and act like she's shallow. Bull crap. She doesn't even like. She doesn't know why she wants to be pretty. She associates that with being normal. That's not really what she means. She. It's not pretty that she cares about. It's if I can look this way, maybe I can convince myself that you know I'm normal and I fit in. I don't know why people can't see that. Oh, anyway. So, rant over. <laughs> I've had this rant before, but I'm not gonna. I, I'm I'm serious. Okay. So anyway, <clears throat> we go back to the Wheeler residence, and Karen is feeding Holly some pancakes. She said she made blueberry pancakes, but Karen, those are not blueberry pancakes. Those are blueberries with. I'm serious. I'm upset. I just realized this. <laughs> Karen said she made blueberry pancakes. I see a pancake with blueberries laying beside of it. That is not blueberry pancakes. That is a pancake with blueberries on the side. That's not the same. Is that just for Hollies? <sighs> Did you make blueberry pancakes? No. That's a plain pancake. The blueberries are off to the side on the plate. That's not a blueberry pancake, Karen. <laughs> that doesn't even matter at all, but like, <laughs> she lied. <laughs> I'm cracking up. Um, maybe that just goes for Holly's because she didn't want her to choke on a blueberry or something, but still. 
It's true, though. She said she made blueberry pancakes. I don't see blueberry pancakes. I see a plain pancake, and there's blueberries on the plate inside of it. That's not a blueberry pancake. That's a lie. <laughs> That's a blueberry lie. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> anyway. Nope. Because I see Ted's pancake, and it's, it's a pancake with blueberries sprinkled over the top. Are there blueberries inside the pancake, too? No, because I see the pancakes laying in a stack on the middle of the table, and they're plain pancakes. You liar. <laughs> you liar. <laughs> this doesn't even matter. Um, so, Nancy hasn't came down yet, and Mike is off who knows where. And uh, looking for Eleven, I guess, or going to Lucas's. And so, Karen has to get up and go look for... Nancy and Ted's just like annoying as usual. Karen, you're lying about pancakes. You're sneaking in. You're you're barging in the privacy of your daughter's room without her permission. I'm just disappointed in you, Karen. But anyway, so she takes a bobby pin and like, uh, what do you call that? I can't believe that. I can't believe I forget words. So I'm a writer. I shouldn't be forgetting words like this. She uh. <laughs> Oh, I'm giggly. What the heck? <laughs> she picks Nancy's lock. That's it. That's the word. She picks the lock with her bobby pin and goes in and sees, like, that there was a blanket on the floor. It looked like somebody slept there. <laughs> you wish. <laughs> it's even worse than that. He didn't sleep on the floor. Anyway, <laughs> she sees that blanket on the floor and a pillow, and Nancy's gone, and the window's open, and she's like, what the heck is going on with my kids? Oh, girl, you don't even know. <laughs> you would never be able to guess. Just trust me. Uh... Your daughter was in the upside down. <laughs> Last night, your son is walking around with a girl, trying to find a girl with telekinesis, like, hiding in your basement. But, okay. Like, you have no clue. And she still does it, like, all this time. And, like, they're just so oblivious. Oh, my gosh. And then... <sighs> Mike and Dustin go over to Lucas's, and Lucas opens the door, and he looks kind of very aggravated that they're even there. And, which is understandable. Uh, but... You know, they're all fighting right now, and Mike wants to apologize, and he has to, or he's kicked out of the party. Um, and then, da, 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 I'm taking a break. I'm sorry, but it's getting down to an hour, and it's been an hour and 15 minutes, but I have, you know, it, it, it's, it's just a thing with my recording equipment. But uh, <laughs> we're going to take a break. And then we'll be back for the rest of the monster. And we haven't even got started, y'all. We're about 20 minutes into the episode. We've got 30 minutes of the episode left. But we're about half... I mean, it's not that far off of halfway. But, um... Yeah. So, we're going to take an ad break. And uh, you can skip right through that if you want. Because <laughs> when I listen to mine back to make sure I didn't say anything real stupid... Um, <laughs> I will skip over the ad break, so you can do that too, but they're there for, you know, because they just are. And I actually mean the things I say in it. <laughs> I do mean it, but, uh, you know, if you listen to it once, just skip over it, uh, the next time. So, you know, just go ahead and skip over that. I mean, I, I don't know if I'm supposed to tell you that, but <laughs> if you want to, I can't stop you, you know, nobody can stop you from forwarding, so, uh, you know. We can't help it, can we? So anyway, <laughs> here comes the ad break. And I'm in a mood. I'm in a mood, okay? This is what happens. This is what happens. What happens when what? 
What happens when what? <laughs> Remember that? I mean, honestly, I, I agree with Mike. What, what happens when what? Your friend goes missing? Like, come on, Ted, Ted Wheeler is such a weirdo. Anyway, um, yeah, I'm a little hyper. But uh, here comes the ad break. And we'll get back to Lucas's in a second. We're going to do just a little bit more of this. Um, so we're at Lucas's and they're apologizing and all this. So we're going to see what happens. Oh, yeah, that was the ad break. <laughs> I'm a little hyper, as if you couldn't tell. <laughs> okay, there's one of these crack videos. Have you ever, I don't know if anybody's watched those crack videos on YouTube, but this part cracks me up because, okay, so Lucas is like, what do you want? And like, they just stand there and like Dustin like backhands Mike and Mike's like, I drew first blood. So and they like sticks out his hand and Lucas just like saws and then it shows him inside the house and he's just like walking very stiffly, stops and just like, does a 180 and turns around and walks stiffly again. There was, like, a crack video where it's like, here's my impression of a robot. It might have been, like, oh, no, it was the bad lip reading. <laughs> Go watch the bad lip reading of Stranger Things Season 1, and it's hilarious. I love bad rip readings. Nope. I love bad lip readings on YouTube. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> This cracks me up because he does walk like that. He's like really stiff and he's, he's like walking back and forth thinking it over, you know. They have this little conversation about who's to blame and blah 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 and everybody's mad at each other but they shouldn't be and Dustin kind of has to like basically shut everybody down and be like you're all acting like idiots and we need to get this. It's not helping anybody to be mad at each other and he's right. Will is freaking missing. We have more important things to do than you guys being jealous over girlfriends and blah blah blah. Like... <clears throat> Lucas is not jealous of Mike and Eleven because he likes her. He's kind of jealous because Mike, it's, you know, she's taking away his friend. You know what I mean? He doesn't like, like Elle. But anyway. Okay, even just logically, I agree with Mike and Dustin here because even Dustin is agreeing with Mike because he says, you know, you have to admit it was kind of awesome because Mike's like, you know, she didn't mean to hurt you. It was an accident. He's realizing that now, you know. And, uh, thank you, Mike. You're taking away my saltiness a little bit by defending our girl here, you know. But, um, <laughs> you know, he tells him, like, she's a weapon. It's not just that I like her. She can be, she has powers. Uh, duh. He's like, what are you going to do? Fight the Demogorgon with your wrist rocket? You know what I mean? And it's, he's not wrong. And Dustin agrees. He's like, you know, she, it, it was kind of awesome. And he's like, awesome? I could have been killed. Which I kind of understand why he's a little mad about it, but Dustin's like, yeah, she threw you through the air with her mind. <laughs> we need her. We can use her. Like, she is a weapon. She, I mean, <sighs> I hate that they're using her, but they're not just using her, but also they do need her. How are they going to fight without her? What are, what are they going to do? You know what I mean? What are you going to do about it? <laughs> You're all kids. And she is too, but it's like, what? I... I even logically, they're making more sense. And he doesn't want to... He's like, she's a traitor. She's not part of the party. She never will be. <laughs> and, like, I was thinking about this. And I'm way more... Because people are, like, shippers. They're like, I want Mike with Will. Or I want Mike with L or whatever. And I'm like... I'm more interested in, like... Eleven's relationship with Dustin. Or Eleven's relationship with Lucas, especially. Because it's like... When when he well we'll see this later but just <clears throat> when they interact with her in a way that's loving when they finally accept her which Dustin kind of has 
you know, a little, he never really wasn't, you know what I mean? Like he was kind of, he was never fully against her, you know, but <clears throat> just the whole thing. I love her and Lucas becoming friends like closely and, and, and because of like how rough it started that I'm, I'm interested in that relationship, not for shipping, but like, you know, because it's more complicated and it started rough and it's more interesting to me than just, oh, me and Mike love each other and we always have and that's it. Like, there's nothing there. I mean, there's things there, but it's just not as interesting to me. And I like her relationship with Max. Uh, we haven't met her yet, but I love, that's my favorite friendship. Uh, off, I mean, it's way off the charts. Uh, like, her relationship to her adopted the guy that adopts her and I'm, it's, I'm not gonna say it because it's just too uh but things like that or her relationship with Joyce or whatever her relationship with Will or her relationship with Jonathan like <clears throat> I definitely don't want to forget to talk about like aside from the little interaction that uh, Will had with Joyce while he was in the upside down he has never touched or saw anybody really except for through that little film thing uh when he was talking to Joyce like Eleven is the only person Will saw while he was in the upside down you know what I mean like he got to talk to her and she touched him and it's like first of all how did he see her like I, we're not at the scene yet but I don't want to forget to talk about it so I'm kind of trying to keep it in my memory of like I think when that scene comes I'll remember but like it seems like nobody else like, every time she goes into her, like, Monk palace, like, other people that she spies on can't see her, but she found Will, and it's like, can she choose for people to see her? Like, Will, you know? Because he, they, it was like she was really there for him, too. So it's like, what does that say about him, or is she doing that? You know what I mean? It's, 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 you know, like, it wasn't just in his mind. She was really, you know, I don't know, I'm just we'll get there, but it's, uh, I'm like, does that say something about him? <laughs> like, why can't, why was he able to just see her? And also, I love their bond, you know, and it's like, they would have good chemistry, because Noah and Millie are, like, best friends in real life, so I like their bond, where they're at now in season four and stuff, but anyway, like, I'm interested in her relationships with people like that, or her, even her and Steve, like, he didn't babysit her as much, so, like, when they interact, it's kind of fun to me to see her interact with new people. You know, when somebody is a good actor, <clears throat> I want to see them interact with characters they haven't previously just to see what that's like. You know what I mean? I'm more interested in crap like that than, like, shipping, especially with kids. You know, it's like, these are kids. <laughs> I don't care who they date. You know, I mean, I was a little on board with, like, Max and Lucas in season four, you know, because it was, like... There was something there to be talked about. It was a lot deeper. I don't know. It was something else. But it was, you know, they're getting older. So it's a little bit more interesting. But I'm just not that into shipping children. It's like, they're little kids. I don't care if they date each other. Like, what the heck? That's kind of weird. I mean, I'm not saying it's, like, bad to be like, oh, look how cute they look together. That's normal, I guess. But it's still, you know, it's like, oh, they're cute when they date. Or they're cute if they're going to the movies. That's totally fine. I'm not saying that's creepy. I'm just saying that, like, the huge amount of shipping I've seen for certain characters is, like, yikes. <laughs> They're not even, like, <clears throat> I mean, the teens, 
the kid, the ones that started out as kids are only like 14 now in season four. So it's like the 14, <laughs> like, do you really care that much? You know, like that much. It's kind of weird. I don't know. I'm not trying to judge anybody, but it's still like to the, to the extent that they do it. I'm like, I'm not watching this show f to see who dates who. There's a lot more crap going on. I'm just saying, like, sure, some people might be cute together, like, you know, whoever. I don't want to bring up new characters, but, you know, it, it's, you know, I, I'm just, I've never been much of a Malevin shipper. Like, Mike and Elle, they have something special, and I definitely agree with that, and I definitely think he is important to her and she's important to him for several reasons, but... I don't care if they date. You know what I mean? Like, I don't need them to date. I feel like, almost like he has an Elliot and E.T. relationship with her in a way. But anyway. And don't yell at her anymore. She needs you to be on her side because no one else is. That's what I'm concerned about. Things like that. Not like, you know. Or maybe like the snowball because he just promised her to take her. You know what I mean? Like, for reasons I care about some things, but not like... I need them to date because I ship them. Like, no, I don't care about that. I'll actually just, you know, if they're just friends, like, I'd be totally great. But anyway. Eleven goes to the grocery store. I love this scene. I can't even describe it. I'm just not even going to try. Just the way it actually makes you feel while you're watching it. She slips into, like, a flashback, I guess, because all these people are, like, stopped and staring at her in the grocery store. And we hear Brenner being like, it's okay, Eleven, these are all friends. And there's a bunch of scientists standing around. See, we thought she had never heard the word friend, but she had. And this is what she thought of, because what does that mean to her if these people are her friends? You know what I mean? Like, in the lab. So she was confused about what that means, because <clears throat> all the friends she's ever had, you know, are like, uh, these are, you know, like, it's, she has a bad example of that. And he's like, don't pay attention to them, stay in here, you know, he taps her head, and I'm like, do not touch her! But, anyway, <laughs> I might get a little emotional about Eleven, but, you know, well, she's so tiny right now, like, she's a little girl. She's, oh, <laughs> it's upsetting. <laughs> he puts her in the bath again. Oh my gosh. Oh no, there's the even sadder part where he, she puts that, she has to put that brainwave monitor on her tiny little head and she looks up at him like, I'm, I'm a tiny little girl, I look like a puppy in the eyes and I'm like, please leave her alone. <sighs> it's so upsetting to me, it's so upsetting, it's like, gosh, you know, because it's like, oh, how could you do that? How could you have that job? I would have to quit my job. Like, I, I, I. How could you do that? Like, I mean, they're not, you know, even if they're not doing, like, purposefully, like, torturing her, you know, with cattle prods or things like that, it's still, like, you know she's trapped here, you know she was kidnapped, you know every, you know, you're putting her in this thing, like, I don't think I could handle that, I, I could, that, you're, you're, you know, her tiny little head can fit in this man's one hand, and he's, like, Oh, and a brainwave monitor, which is like, I know people have to wear those for different reasons, and they're not really hurting her, but at this point, but it's like, not physically, but it's like, you're putting her in this pitch black water tank? Like, I, I'm not cool with that. I would, uh, 
no. I'm sorry, <laughs> but no. And I know she gets in one later with all the, you know, boys and stuff, but it was her idea, and plus they're doing it for a reason, and she's not, like, trapped in there. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, I don't know. It's just something about all this, and, like, the reason Brenner's doing this, he knows what, he's sending her to look for the Demogorgon on purpose. He is doing that on purpose. He knows what it is. I mean, I'm not sh I don't think he knows what it is, but <sighs> I think he knows what he's doing and, and, ha and knows it's a thing. Like, you know, I can't get into it right now, but <sighs> it's a spoiler, but I he knows. Let's just, just trust me. He knows. And so I'm, 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 <laughs> very annoyed. But anyway, so let's watch this. The stuff he says to her about it, he's like, it's reaching out for you. It's calling you. Don't, 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 don't turn away this time. I want you to find it. I'm like, this son of a, this son of a, he knows what's up. He knows what's up. And I, <clears throat> he's like, it can't hurt you. Not from here. You don't know that. You don't really know that. This is a creature from another dimension. You know that much. How do you know it can't hurt her inside her mind? Um, um, um. <laughs> um <laughs> some things can. So, uh, you don't know that. Anyway, oh gosh. Oh man, she looks so sad. <laughs> like, she's, she's just like, yeah, it's like, she can't. What, she went to be Oh gosh. <laughs> just, sorry, but I'm so emotional about this. Anyway, I don't like it. Leave her alone. Don't make her do this. Oh my gosh, I hate it. <sighs> I've never spoken the feelings that I have while watching this scenes like this out loud. And it's just, it's just, <laughs> I'm literally like so close to tears that I'm trying to like laugh them off. But my gosh, it's so, I'm, oh gosh, <laughs> I guess. I just looked at the screen because I paused it and she's like looking up as she's being lowered in and it's so sad. It's so sad. I can't. Okay. She's in the black void. She's in the black void. <laughs> so this guy's like, young lady, and like shit brings her out of her like, he's like, are you lost? And like, she, you know, <clears throat> he brings her out of her flashback right as the door closes in her flashback on that tank deprivation tank and he's like is your mom here your dad and she's just like mouth breather <laughs> so she goes and like uh steals some egos <laughs> she goes and finds the egos and grabs four boxes full of like new boxes of egos four boxes there's like at least eight in a box i think girl why you need so many and <laughs> like one would suffice you would think but anyway so she takes four boxes of egos and she starts walking out he's like what some cashier you know workers like what should i do and he's like call the police and like she starts to walk out and that guy starts to chase her and she like you hear a in the soundtrack and like <clears throat> she's working her powers uh to like someone with a cart like gets pulled out in front of him against her will you hear her screaming and then uh she walks out the door and they're automatic doors but then like you hear another zzz, and she closes the doors with her mind you know before it's time and they like shatter and then everybody's like screaming kind of like screaming and like what the heck and she just you know walks off with her four boxes of egos like she's a badass and uh <laughs> it's pretty funny and then we see somebody pulling up to the shed or not a shed but we see that's a tree house like what's that about 
But, uh, we see Joyce's car on this back road. It's like a small one lane road. Oh my gosh, my footage is, oh, anyway, <laughs> I hate that. I hate when my footage is, it's like so much harder to itch your foot than any other part. Cause it's also ticklish, you know, but anyway, so Hopper and Joyce are going to Terry Yow's house. She kind of lives out in the boondocks. Uh, and we're going to see what that's like. It's pretty sad. You're about five years too late. If you want Terry to tell you anything, you're about five years too late. So Becky answers the door, which is Terry Av's sister, and uh, tells them, you know, well, if you want to talk to Terry, you're about five years too late. <clears throat> um, she's sitting there. Terry's sitting in the living room in a rocking chair watching television. Becky is younger than her or older than her? I can't remember. But let me tell you something. If you want to learn more about Terry Alves and, like, the backstory behind all this part of it, you should read um, Suspicious Minds. By Str it's a Stranger Things Suspicious Minds novel. It's supposedly canon. I know they said that about the comic books, too, and that turned out to be fake. Like, it, I mean, it didn't turn out to be fake. It's really the show making the comic books, but I guess the comic books are not canon. Uh... <laughs> suddenly which is like okay or maybe they are and like i don't know there might be an explanation for that but um oh my gosh my freaking foot um as far as i know the novels are canon and um they have matched up with canon so far uh so suspicious minds is the one about terry Ives, and it tells all about terry and Andrew Rich and, like, three other people that she got experimented on with in the lab back in the 70s. So, um, it's interesting. Eight's in it, if you know who that is. Like, you know, she's only, like, four at the time. But anyway, continuing on. Uh, they mentioned Jane to Terry. You know, Will, uh, Joyce tells her about Will and all this. Hopper asks what her relationship was like with Dr. Brenner. She just kind of stares at them and, like, looks back at the TV. And, uh, she's not... It doesn't seem like she's fully... It seems like she's somewhat aware of the things they're saying, you know? And I think she is. But, uh, she looks back at the TV and Hopper asks Becky, like, what's wrong with her? And she's like, I told you, you're wasting your time. And then, um... But she looks down at the photo that, like, Joyce shows her at Will, like... She seems to be aware, like, she's aware of things a little bit, you know? Um, I, she's not exactly catatonic, you know what I mean? Because she moves her eyes around as if she's, like, somewhat aware of things. Anyway, she's not completely a vegetable, you know what I mean? Like, she, she, you know, looks around and stuff. But, um, then we go to Lucas, he's, like, packing a backpack full of, like, weapons and things, suiting up. I think it was Caleb's idea. He wanted to wear, like, a... <clears throat> they found a belt that said Lucas on the front, on, like, the buckle or something. I think for this scene. I can't remember if it was this season or another one. But anyway, that and then, like, this little bandana thing that's, like, camouflage. It looks kind of cool, actually. He looks pretty cool, to be totally honest. Like, he's just... You're a cute little cool dude. <laughs> like, he looks like a little tiny army dude. Like, I love it. And, uh, you know. So he's pat he's strapping in, getting ready to go fight by himself, which is like, um, <laughs> that's probably stupid, but 
you know, I admire your pluck or whatever, your moxie. Uh, but thankfully, you know, stuff happens and we don't have to see him get hurt. But, um, I mean, sorry to spoil that, but, you know, he doesn't actually go by himself eventually. But anyway, he's so tiny. Like, these, all these boys are so tiny. And I'm like, y'all are not tiny anymore. And it's so funny how tiny they really were. And it's like, how are y'all going by yourself to, like, like Lucas right now, trying to go by himself to find a freaking monster. It's like, Nancy and Jonathan are, like, way bigger than y'all right now, and they're scared to death. You're just like, I'm gonna take the slingshot and fight a freaking monster. I admire your moxie, but dude, <laughs> come on. <laughs> he looks like a little Rambo kid. Like, I like it. I like this. I like this outfit. It looks really cool. <laughs> He walks outside with his bike and sees, like, a Hawkins power and electric van and, like, a dude getting out of it. And, like, he waves at the guy and the guy waves at him and he's like, oh, cool, you know? And it's like, why are they showing us this? But it's like, we know. We recognize this dude as the guy who went to the AV room at, and earlier, you know? Last episode. Oh, my gosh. My foot itches. What the heck? I feel like I might have a mosquito bite on it or something, but I don't go outside. <laughs> well, I sit on the porch sometimes, but... Come on. I'm not Bear Grylls or whoever people that go outside. <laughs> those, those weirdos that go outside. Uh. So Dustin has to explain to Mike what's wrong with Lucas. He's like, he's jealous. And Mike's like, what are you talking about? He's like, he's your best friend, right? And he's like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. And Dustin's like, it's fine. I get it. He's like, I didn't get here to the fourth grade. He has the advantage of living next door. But what matters is he's your best friend. And it's like, so we are getting some information. Like, Dustin didn't come there until the fourth grade. Like, I, I just never really clocked that. Like, I mean, I never paid attention. I, I mean, I know he said it, but I just didn't think about it. Um, And then, which we know that Lucas lives closer to Mike than Dustin does. And Will obviously lives farthest away because he lives out in the boonies, kind of out Merkwood or whatever. Um... Yeah, so Dustin's trying to explain to Mike. Dustin is the smartest one of these kids. Let's just say that. Dustin is the smartest. Probably of everybody on the show. <laughs> like, honestly. Um, just even, not, and, and he's smart like nerdy because he knows things about science and things. He is definitely the smartest about science and stuff like that of all the kids and all that. And But he's also smarter about, like, life and, like, relationships. You know what I mean? He totally is. So, anyway. <clears throat> That's cute as heck, because he explains everything to Mike, and he's like, you have this girl that, you know, shows up and starts living in your basement, and all you want to do is pay attention to her, and he's jealous. And, uh, Mike's like, well, he's not my best friend. And Mike's like, whatever, or Dustin's like, whatever, and he's like, I mean, he is my best friend, but you're my best friend too, and so is Will. And, uh, Dustin's like, you can't have more than one best friend. And Mike's like, says who? And he's like, says logic. And so Mike's like, well, I call bull in your logic because you're, you're my best friend too. And so Dustin like smiles and is like, okay. <laughs> it's the cutest thing on earth. <laughs> I'm like, I like this. I'm so glad. I don't know why everybody wants to be Mike's friend so bad, but I, I, I just like, I, I guess anybody being his best friend is like nice to hear from for Dustin or whatever because they're all friends, but you know. It's just cute because he's like happy about it and that makes me happy when Dustin's happy. 
when any of these kids are happy, I'm happy. Like, it's just, like, Eleven's definitely my favorite, but I don't even care. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, I care that she's my favorite, but, like, you know, people are like, pick between one of the four boys that are the original boys, and I'm like, never gonna happen. I can't. I love them all. Like, they're my children. Like, I really do. Like, at one point, like, Lucas is playing basketball and makes a good shot, and I'm, like, proud, like, I'm unhappy. Like, I was... It's later on, but it's not that big of a spoiler, but it's like, he makes a shot, an important shot in basketball, and I'm, I'm standing up watching it, being like, I feel like an actual parent would feel when their kid does that. Like, and it's Lucas, it's not like it's 11, you know, it's not, he, I feel kind of equally about all four of the young boys, but any one of them does something like that, and I'm like, I feel like a proud parent. <laughs> And it's like, it's not even like it's Eleven, who's like my favorite character. It's, it's Lucas, who's like, you know, just one of the boys that I love. But, you know, it's like, it's not even my favorite character. And I'm still like, I literally felt like my kid had made this like, really important shot in basketball. And I'm like, oh, I'm so proud of him. Like, I was so proud. And it was so, you know, <laughs> that's how I feel about all of them, though. Like, all four of them. The four boys, the four main boys, I just feel like, you know, Eleven's my favorite for sure, but, like, even the four main boys, like, I, I, I don't even think I could, well, I like them for different reasons, I guess you would say, like, I, I like all of them for different reasons, like, Dustin is fun, you know, and he's smart, and, like, Mike is, like, such a good friend to other people, and Lucas is, like, smart and brave and when it comes down to it, he always makes the right decision, and, and Will is, like, so selfless. You know what I mean? It's like, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of gushing over my kids. <laughs> I'm going to get a wallet just so I can put pictures of these kids in it and be like, look at my children. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> but no, seriously, I, I love them all. And for different reasons, like, I, I just have so much things to say about all of them that are, to like, they're not completely different things because they're all, you know, smart and they're all nice, but they're good people, you know, but, and they're all brave, but there's like also little things about each of them that I could say, you know, and it's just, anyway, <laughs> gushing about my kids, I feel like, but anyway, so Mike and Dustin pull up at the end of their block or street or whatever, and uh, they see that somebody, there's like been some commotion at the grocery store and they're like, well, <laughs> you know, telekinetic girl, it probably was her. And they're pretty smart, and they figure that out pretty quick. The cops are at the grocery store. It's got to be Callahan and Calvin. <laughs> See? Uh, she's talking about MK Ultra. says, you know, it started in the 50s, and by the time Carrie got involved, it was supposed to be ramping down, but the drugs just got crazier. It was LSD. In real life, that's what it was. And, uh... Hopper's like, so it was the CIA doing this? And she's like, you and Terry would get along real good. And it's like, well, who do you think was doing it, Becky? You know that it was real. You're not skeptical at all. Like, look at your sister right now. The government experimented on her, and now she's catatonic almost. And you don't think there's anything suspicious about that? Really? She thinks she's grieving because she lost her daughter. She thinks that she had a miscarriage, but we'll get to that. She explains all this stuff to them, which I feel like I'm, I'm like glossing over it too much because it's really important to the plot, but I've, you know, hashed it out so much 
<sighs> okay, but anyway, let's just hear her out. The man with a big capital M. So she says what the MK Ultra thing was, and they, you know, gave Terry some LSD and psych- psychedelics and put her in, stripped her naked and put her in a sem- sensory deprivation tank. She kind of like explains what that is. She's like, it's like a big bathtub. You float around in salt water. And they wanted to expand the boundaries of the mind. And then she's like, they didn't force her to do any of this, which they didn't um, with Terry. And then in real life, some people, they didn't force to do it. They just paid them to. And people were like, sure, I'll take some drugs, <laughs> float around in some water. You know, because they got paid. And it's like, they told them it was safe. Like, it's still not cool. But then they, you know, I'm not going to get into this on my podcast. <laughs> I don't like it. Like, the government after me, the man after me. But, you know, that wasn't all legit. Which MK Ultra is like, we all know it was shady and bullcrap. <clears throat> the evidence is, I mean, they were investigated and got in trouble and all this, and we only know like thirty percent of the things they did because they destroyed most of the paperwork and all the evidence. The only reason they didn't destroy the paperwork that they found is because they put it in the wrong filing cabinet under accounting instead of like, you know, that's that's true. Go look it up. If you watch the show, you should definitely research the real MK Ultra and find out this is what they're basing it on. And I mean, they're going along with it exactly in the show, how it really was. So, <clears throat> but then uh, Becky says the thing is, Terry didn't know she was pregnant at the time, and Joyce is like Jane, <laughs> and she's like, yeah, you know, and she's like, do you have any pictures of her, of Jane? Is what she's asking. <sighs> well. <laughs> Go down to the Quickie Mart. I mean, it's not really called the... It's a big boy, something... Something big boy, but still, whatever. She's at, She just left the grocery store, Joyce. But anyway... Here we go. Um, yeah. Joyce asks if she has any pictures of Jane. And she's like, I don't think you guys understand. Terry miscarried in the third trimester. I'm sorry. They just walk into... They just walk into the nursery that Terry had set up for 11. It just made me super emotional because I've been talking about this, you know, for several episodes about how she didn't have this exact thing that was set up specifically for her. She didn't know. She still doesn't know that somebody did this for her, you know? Oh, gosh, I'm going to get through this. I'm going to get through this. I'm not going to cry. I'm not going to cry. I'm fine. I'm fine. There's a picture of the white rabbit on her wall, which is like, mm-hmm, that's a little Easter egg. And there's like another toy rabbit. It's kind of rabbit themed, isn't it? Um, but that was her song playing whenever earlier in, in, in episode one, when she ran away from Benny's and destroyed those dudes that tried to capture her. They were playing White Rabbit by Jefferson Airplane. That's her theme song to me. I mean, it just is. Um, <clears throat> so, yeah, they walk into her nursery. And it's freaking, like, so sad because look at the room she had to grow up in compared to this room. And I think it was on purpose that they showed the contrast of her room that she grew up in versus this room, you know, in the same episode. Because it's like, she wanted this. She's been longing for this. And it's not just the room, but everything about it. Everything that it represents, you know, and it's so sad. Becky says... Terry says, Jane, she's like, she's kept this up for 12 years, says she thinks Jane's going to come home one day, says she's special, born with abilities, and then we see flashbacks. Because we don't know for sure yet that Jane was 11, you know what I mean? I mean, we do, but 
you know, here's the final confirmation. Like, it definitely is her. Like, she starts talking about her, you know, because she already said she miscarried in the third trimester. And they're like, so, you know, we could kind of be thinking, like, well, then who's 11? <laughs> you know, because we were assuming it was Jane. But, I mean, you know, it is. But this is kind of the moment where we're like, it's a little bit of, like, confirmation. And they start going flashbacks, showing 11, having powers. <laughs> Hopper ain't having it. She's talking about, you know, her having telekinesis, and she's like, that's why the big bad man took Jane away. She's off fighting the commies, and then it shows the clips of Jane being, you know, 11, being carried down the hallway, yelling for her papa, you know, like, it's all flashbacks, it's all real, you know. We're seeing it, <laughs> like, if in the case you didn't realize it by now, <laughs> Jane is 11, and Carrie's right all along, and, uh, so... <laughs> She's like, you ever read any Stephen King? And they just look at her and she's like, you guys look actually scared. And then she's like, and Joyce is like, you think there's any possibilities she's right about it? And then she's like, I mean about like Jane actually having been born. And Becky's like, nope, doctors, nurses all confirmed it was a miscarriage in the third trimester. And Hopper's like, yeah, but that could have been covered up, right? <laughs> and she's like, like I said, you would get along with my sister. You know, you would have gotten along with Terry. <laughs> it's like, well... You know? Yikes. <laughs> but showing us these clips and that nursery was so important for us to understand just how much, you know, Eleven as a character, you know, because she's, you know, she looked at Nancy's room and saw this, like, you know, stuff that girls are supposed to have or, I mean, not actually, but not just for girls, but anything, you know, anything that a parent gives you or any, like, Thing that shows that you're a loved child, <laughs> you know, and instead of just white walls that look like a hospital, worse than a hospital room. I've never seen a hospital room look that stark and, and depressing and, and nothingness, you know. Usually they're pictures and flowers and stuff, even in a hospital room. You can't even provide that, like, he sure he brought that, he brought her that little potted plant, like, ooh, big deal. You know, but you can't even give her a normal looking room. Like, you're going to keep her trapped there, but you can't even. <sighs> Why? Is there a reason? Like, is, was it necessary to not give her just a room? At least it looks like a room. At least, if you're going to do that. I don't know. I'm, uh... And it's not, that wouldn't have helped, really, but it would have helped some. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was, I don't know. It's just, it's the image of it. It's, it's the, and the, and it. <sighs> you know, this is what she's missing. And it's not just the room, it's what the room represents, like I said. You know, Terry wanted to love her child and have her and and care for her, and she got her all these things ready. She had a crib and, like, a mobile, which was, like, a clown mobile, and I'm like, I don't know about that, but it could have been, you could have put rabbits on that thing. The theme of the room is rabbits, and you put a clown mobile of it? Whatever. <laughs> the point is, she had all this stuff waiting for her, and she never got to have it. And not only did they take it from her, they took it from Terry. And they kept them separated from each other. And they... You know, it's not like Brenner just found her in an alley as a baby and took her in. She could have had that so easily. Her mother wanted to give her that so badly. And he took that. You know, he, he actually stole her you know, from her mother. It's not like he found an orphan. It's not the Truman Show where he just got an orphan that didn't have anybody else and he was like, well, I can do what I want. You know, it's better than nothing. It's better than no one taking care of her. 
that's not what this is even, which is bad anyway, but this is even worse because she could have had that. He literally stole that from her. She had somebody wanting to give her those things. He took her from that. If you don't understand how evil this man is, I don't care what you think he did or why you think he did it. This right here, no. You know, he took her childhood from her, her entire childhood. And not just took it from her like, you know, he found her on the street as a baby and, and raised her in the lab. He took her from a loving home. She could have had a loving home, even. And he took that anyway. Oh, I, do you understand how evil that man is? Do you understand how evil that man is? I don't want to hear anybody trying to justify his actions. I'm sorry. <sighs> Regardless of anything else, that alone is enough to be like, he is evil. She is right. He is a bad man. Bad man. That's what she calls him. And that's exactly what he is. Anyway. I haven't seen Jonathan and Nancy for quite a while. Anyway, <laughs> Lucas is uh, pushing his bike. Like, why even bring it? They're just going to push it the whole time. But anyway, <laughs> he's got the compass, like, tied to the handlebars. And he's walking up to... He's he's following True North. Because that's what the gate is drawing. To, you know, that whole scientific explanation. <laughs> I'm worded out, so I'm not going to try it right now. <laughs> <coughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> So, it leads him to the fence around the lab because, well, that's where the gate is. <laughs> so, he basically finds the gate, but he can't get to it because it's surrounded by the freaking fence of the lab and the building of the lab. So, to get to the gate, he'd have to go through the lab. So, yeah, he can't even get to it anyway. I, I wonder why Levin didn't just, like, realize that. Like, well, they're not going to be able to get in once they get there, so let's just go there. You know what I mean? But uh, she's a she's a... 12 or however old she is I think she's well she's 12 like Becky said but uh yeah so they're 12 I guess I guess all of them are 12 but uh if she would have not like messed with the compasses they would have just ended up outside the lab and they would have realized the gates inside the lab but I mean you know she's not she probably thought they would try to sneak in or something Lucas has not yet realized it's inside Hawkins' lab because he's like walking along the fence. He thinks he's got to go around it. And we're about to see Nancy and Jonathan again. I just heard the beginnings of a little bargain store about Dolly Parton start to play. <laughs> I know exactly what scene this is. It hasn't even changed scenes, but I heard the song, so I know what's coming. They go to a uh, little like weapons shop in town. Bargain store. What you're looking for. <laughs> this is not even a famous song, but Dolly Parton's singing a Little Bargain Store, and they're at a bargain store where they're looking for hunting gear, and camp it's a hunting and camping place, and they're looking for all these bear traps and blah, 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 and uh, it's Nancy and Jonathan looking for crap. There's a lot of stuff that's supposed to happen, like, in this episode that hasn't happened yet <laughs> and it's like there's gonna be a lot of action for the next 20 minutes i kind of like that sweater nancy's wearing they get bear traps which is a good idea 
So they, they bring up the biggest buttload of freaking weaponry ever. There's like huge nails and a two, like, or one big bear trap and a canister for uh, lighter fluid. I mean, just awful. The awfulest mess of stuff. And <clears throat> they lay it all out there. It takes forever to lay it out. And the guy working, he's like, what are you guys doing with all this? He's not really that concerned. He's just like, what are you guys doing with all this? And, like, they look at each other, and Nancy's like, monster hunting. And he's like, oh, huh. <laughs> he doesn't even care. He sells it to these kids who are not, they're minors. And, uh, <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's called Hunting and Camping. That's the name of the store. See, I told you. And, uh, Jonathan and Nancy carry out the crap and put it in her trunk. <sighs> and then there's some more. He looks pretty happy to just be with her, you know. And uh, she looks cute in that outfit. I like that sweater. But anyway. Oh, that's why he was smiling when I posted. He's like, monster hunting? He's like laughing. And she she's kind of smiles about it. Okay, that was kind of flirting. Um, so he's like, monster hunting? And she's like, you know, last weekend... Uh, I was with Barb shopping for a top I thought, I thought Steve might like. And she's like, it took all weekend. It was like it was life or death or something. And she's like, and now? And Jonathan's like, you're shopping with, for bear traps with Jonathan Byers. And she's like, yeah, exactly. And he's like, which is the weirdest part, me or the bear traps? And she's like, she kind of smiles. And she's like, you, definitely you. But she's like grinning. So it's like flirty. <laughs> He, like, smiles back at her, and I'm like, I ship it! I ship it so hard! Because <laughs> it's it's so realistic. It's not like, oh, you're cute. Oh, no, you're cute. That's, you know, it's not that kind of flirting. It's it's very, like, realistic, where it's just like, you know, they're not really complimenting each other. It's kind of, it's just realistic. And then somebody draws by and is like, hey, Nance, can't wait to see your movie. And she looks confused, and then she thinks of something and, like, goes and walks around several corners. It seems like it takes her forever to get there uh, t to the movie theater because the town's pretty small anyway, but she walks to the movie theater and sees on the marquee that uh, somebody has spray painted under um, All the Right Moves with Tom Cruise. Somebody spray painted starring Nancy the Slut Wheeler. <sighs> Come on now, guys. You can be a little bit more creative than that. She's smartest. <coughs> She's smartest act too for just like realizing what, what? this probably means. Where are you going? When that person Nancy says that about the movie, all the right moves, starring Nancy the Slut Wheeler, is what it says. She like starts crying, and everybody's looking at her because it's like right in the town. Everybody can see it. She hears spray paint and people laughing. Spray paint shaking up. So she stomps around the corner and finds Steve and Tommy and Carol and that other chick, um, the redhead chick. Uh, Tommy's, like, spray-painting stupid stuff, and she goes up and she just, like, slaps Steve across the face, and it doesn't seem to bother him that much, but he's, like, you know, they get in a little argument. She's like, what are you doing? And he's like, what are you doing, Nancy? You know, blah, blah, blah. And he, like, she figures out that he came by, and I, he's like, I was worried about you. I can't believe I was actually worried about you. And, um... She's like, you came out last night. 
And Carol's like, ding, 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 does she get a prize? And I'm like, somebody shut this bitch up. <laughs> like, seriously. And uh, she's just so annoying. And Tommy is too. I hate them both. But anyway, <laughs> so um, they kind of argue a little bit. And he's, she's like, it wasn't like that. He was just, and he's like, what, studying? Because, you know, that's what they did in her room, but they made out, you know. And she's like, no. And she's like, we were just, and he's like, finish the sentence. Finish the sentence, you know. Which, he's our boyfriend, so he, sh you know, he saw another guy in her room. Okay, he's mad. You know what I mean? He's hurt, mostly. And he's reacting to that. It's wrong. The things he's doing are so wrong. Trust me, I'm not on his side about this at all. But he's not enjoying this. He's hurt, you know. This is his reaction to being hurt, and it sucks. And what he's doing sucks, because it's like you're not even giving her a chance. I mean, you reacted to what you saw before you even asked her about it. You know what I mean? That was the wrong thing to do. I can't hate you, Steve. I just can't. I'm not even mad at him right now, because I know what's going to happen later. But, like, I, I can't feel mad. But I, I don't agree with what he did, and he, he was wrong. And he was wrong to react to it before he even ask her about it you know it's like what you you know you saw him put a towel around her and was like comforting her it's like and you were worried that something was wrong with her well obviously it looked like something was wrong with her even when you saw her with Jonathan so it's like shouldn't you like talk to her before you like spray paint her name on the town marquee that she's a slut you know what I'm saying and I feel like a lot of it was like Tommy and Carol's encouraging but still it's not right and he shouldn't have let it happen so anyway um He's being a douche right now. But I love you, Steve. <laughs> I don't hate him, you know, but it is coming from a place of hurt. I know that. But it's still the wrong thing to do. But, you know, we'll, we'll get through it. We'll get through this rough patch with our boy, Steve. <laughs> it's not the right thing to do at all, especially the slut shaming and public shaming. I don't like that. Even if you're fighting with your girlfriend, I don't like public shaming like this any, at any time. Like, whether you're hurt or she does something crappy... The public shaming is a little far, especially if you haven't even spoken to her and asked her what was going on. You didn't even, you know, you obviously don't trust her. So it's like, why even be together? You know, if you can't just ask her, like, why is Jonathan there? Is something wrong with you guys? Like, well, you know, he knows that Will is missing. So it's like, you have no, there are certain things that could be going on that you don't know about. You know what I mean? Like, anyway. <clears throat> Which... Her and, her and Jonathan are having some bobs together, but, you know, it's not like she's cheated. She did sleep with a boy, but it was actual sleep. There was a pillow and a gun between them, Steve. It's fine. <laughs> oh, no, Steve. No, Steve. You just crossed a little bit of a line right there. Um, uh, but Jonathan's trying to be cool. He's like, come on, Nancy, let's just get out of here. He's trying to just, like, leave. He doesn't want to get involved. He's not fighting over Nancy. Let's just say that. Um, he wants her to just leave. And, uh, so Steve jumps on him. And he's like, you know what, Byers, I'm kind of impressed. I always took you for a, a slur that he calls him. But I guess you're just, uh, a little screw-up like your father. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That house is full of screw-ups. Now, Steve, this is way too far. I'm sorry, but the things he says to Jonathan right here are just way too far. And this is the point. Like, he listens. Jonathan stood by and let Nancy defend herself to Steve. She smacked him. She told him off. Or, you know, she talked to him and they argued. But, uh, he's like, come on, Nancy, let's just go. And, um, 
you know, he's not involved. He doesn't want to get involved between the two of them. He's not trying to break them up. He's not fighting for her honor. Steve starts in on him on purpose. Jonathan's not starting crap with Steve. Steve's starting stuff with Jonathan. And, and he starts pushing him. Jonathan's trying to walk away and Steve starts pushing him. Then he starts talking bad about Jonathan's family. Not Nancy. Jonathan's family. Jonathan's not fighting for Nancy. He's fighting for his family. He starts talking about his mom and then says the buyers are a disgrace. <sighs> I'm fighting words. <laughs> I mean, he he's fighting for his family name. And maybe, you know, uh, Lonnie sucks. But, you know. <clears throat> Don't be talking about Joyce. Anyway, <laughs> so... Jonathan finally gets sick of it, and Steve has been, like, pushing him in the back this whole time, and Jonathan's tried to walk away, but he wouldn't shut up, and he wouldn't stop, so Jonathan just, like, knocks him out, or, like, punches him in the face. And let's face it, Jonathan beats the crap out of Steve. <laughs> like, it's just so easy for him. He just beats the crap out of him. I mean, Steve, it's not as bad as, like, Steve when he got beat up by Billy later on, but it's pretty bad. <laughs> Pal, Steve's pal. Dang it. I can't believe I forgot that. Okay, anyway. So, they fight. Jonathan just kicks his butt. You know, totally. Um, all the people around are, like, saying different things. Tommy's saying different things. Like, he's had enough, man. He's had enough. Which, I will say this for Steve. Tommy tried to jump in and get between Steve and Jonathan and help Steve. And Steve's like, no, get out of here, man. One-on-one. -on -one. Like, he, he was all about it. Like, one-on-one, -on -one, not, like, teaming up. Which is, like, a little respectful, I guess. Still mad about that slur, <laughs> Steve. And also mad about you talking mad about, like, oh, no wonder your brother went missing. Your mom's a piece of work, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, do not badmouth Joyce Bars. Anyway, so he he's just trying to get Jonathan worked up. And he got it. <laughs> and now he regrets it. <laughs> Jonathan beat the crap out of him. And uh, Tommy's trying to get Jonathan off of Steve. And then the cops show up and Carol runs off and then... Jonathan, like, accidentally elbows Callahan in the face, which is, like, an assault on an officer. And, uh, Nancy's upset. She's like, come on, Jonathan, stop, come on, you know, and blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> Tommy finally gets Jonathan off of Steve, and they both take off running, and the cops can't catch him. But they do catch Jonathan, so they're arresting Jonathan for fighting. <sighs> so, Jonathan's under arrest. <laughs> Don't worry. Your stepdaddy's coming back from wherever Terry lives, so you'll be fine. Callahan tries to chase. It's funny. <laughs> Powell is, like, arresting Jonathan while Callahan chases Steve and Tommy. He's like, uh-uh, uh-uh. <laughs> He's trying to get him. No, dude. Sorry, Callahan, but <laughs> you're not quick enough. Those boys are, like, on the football team or some crap. Or basketball, whatever the freak. And Nancy's upset because of all this we got 15 minutes left so I'm gonna personally take another break we got you know we're getting ready to go back to Terry's and the last 15 minutes I think has a little bit more um, stuff going on maybe maybe not I don't know but there's stuff I need to talk about um, <clears throat> in this episode you know about Jonathan and all that so uh, I'm gonna wait till later and um you know the show this episode has 15 minutes left so <sighs> i'm gonna take a personal break just for myself and you guys won't notice the difference so it's fine but um yeah oh there's some flowers right there anyway 
Sunflower, rainbow, breathe. For the left, three. <laughs> uh, 450, breathe. Sunflower, rainbow. No, that's the thing. Three left, four the right. Breathe. Yeah, uh, those are all the words. But, uh, you know, if, you, if you've seen the show, you know what I'm talking about. But we're not going to get into it right now. Um, <laughs> I just have those memorized permanently in my brain, just like, uh, 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42, <laughs> you know, it's like, that's, that's always going to be a thing for me. But, uh, anyway, or, um, Cobalt Lane or Main Street, Birch Street, Higgins Drive, Cobalt Lane. <sighs> those are the street names where just Jessica Jones let, like grew up and she repeats them in the show for PTSD reasons. But anyway, I don't know. I just, those things like that get stuck in my head. Anyway, um, yeah, we're back at, uh, Terry's house and I'm going to take a break. And, uh, well, I guess it's Becky's house. Well, I think it's kind of both of theirs. I don't know. Go read the freaking book. I haven't read it in a long time. So I think, I think it was their parents' house and they gave it to them or something. I don't know. But anyway, (laughs) We might talk a little bit more about Terry when I come back, but, and like even the book, Suspicious Minds, like I said, you know, when I was planning on doing this podcast, I might bring up, you know, the comics and the books, but I'm not going to bring up the comics as much because, well, um, they're just not that interesting to me, but also, uh, apparently they're not canon as far as I can tell. So it's like, is are they canon or not? Because just tell us whether they're canon or not. Because like I can see how maybe they could fit in canon if certain things were adjusted, or like if they're gonna say like, oh, this person escaped, and then we replace them or whatever. But you know, or whatever. But <laughs> it's just a lot of work to be calling it canon. But the novels seem to fit pretty well with canon. I don't see how a lot of them wouldn't fit with canon because a lot of them have things in it that happen like way out of time like flashbacks to like before the show started so it's kind of like they can't really it'd be hard to knock them out of canon because they're not like you know so I think they're pretty accurate but anyway uh yeah we're back at Terry's and I'm gonna take a break and you guys won't notice that's it (laughs) Okay, um, yeah, I just realized something, uh, I get a word of the day in, like, my emails, like, a word that nobody uses pretty much usually, but, you know, some of them I find really interesting, so, (laughs) I just realized that of season one, this is the interpenultimate episode, which means it's the episode before the penultimate episode, penultimate episode means the episode before the last one, (laughs) I just I had antepenultimate in my word of the day one day, and I was like, so there's another, because, like, <laughs> I knew what penultimate episode means, but, you know, <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know there was a word for the one before that that was anti, it's antepenultimate, but it's not anti, it's like anti, like E, instead, it's not anti, it's like anta, antepenultimate, A-N-T-E, penultimate. <sighs> Does that matter? No. But I just like words because I'm a writer. But I collect words. I'm like Charles Dickens. I wish I was like Charles Dickens. Uh, but he did collect names, apparently. 
and uh, kept a little notebook with names in them when he heard an interesting name. And I do the same. I collect names, but I also just collect words, any word. And um, if I find them interesting, they sound good or the meaning, you know. And I like that. Uh, I guess that's like word of the day <laughs> to learn new words. And, you know, I'm probably never going to use most of them, but for my writing, you know, like I just actually started, I need to edit it, but uh, I put out, um, I'm putting out a collection of short stories and poems just to have them in a physical copy, I guess. I don't know, you know, uh, but because I just, you know, I just felt like it. And uh, I had collected this word called cicatrix, cicatrix, and I'm naming the collection cicatrix because it means the scar from a healed wound. And that's exclusive to my podcast listeners because I'm not going to explain the title to anyone else like look it up (laughs) but y'all get the exclusive i guess (laughs) but i I just collect words because i like to use them in those ways like i might title a story some random word that nobody uses but it means something you know like that (sighs) anyway I've been constantly thinking about Stranger Things. (laughs) I can't even watch anything else right now. My mind will not let me focus on anything else. And there are things that I actually like a lot available to watch, like Camp Cretaceous. Just turned on Netflix. Um, What the heck, man? Trying to get things off my continue watching list because other people have been using my Netflix that I'm like... (laughs) We got 14 minutes left of this episode, and it's 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 gonna be a little bit. Uh, oh, um, I don't know. There's a lot going on in the last few minutes, right? But let's watch. I love this scene. Um, we go back to Terry's, and uh, you know, Hopper and Joyce are leaving slowly, and uh, like Joyce stops and like stares at Terry for a minute, and Terry's just like staring at the TV. And, uh, you know, Joyce just has this, like, you know, look on her face, and it's very tough for her, and she gets in the car, and she sighs, and, like, her and Hopper are talking about it, and she's like, she's been looking for her daughter for 12 years, because he's like, we're close, we're close to finding Will, you know, and she's like, she's been looking for her daughter for 12 years, 12 years, and he's like, yeah, and then five nights ago, the girl shows up at Benny's, which means there's a chance, you know what I would give for a chance, and it's like, man, this is deep. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't think I even need to explain why, you know, like this is so freaking deep and, and just important of a conversation for them to have, you know, about this. And I think it's hopeful as well, you know, because it's sad for Hopper though, because it's like, he can never have Sarah back ever. He, you know, she can't show up 12 years somewhere eating a cheeseburger at Benny's, you know what I mean? Like, shaved head or whatever like you know and it's like <sighs> it sucks like he knows she's gone she didn't go missing she she's gone and it sucks and in a way there's closure there but in another way there's no hope you know i mean un- unless you know like if you're a christian or something like if you have hope of seeing them again but it's just really sad for him because and he, he brings this up because Joyce brought it up earlier. What you know, like, in an earlier episode. And she, so he has since then, like I said, associated this with his own loss. You know, because this is what... 
you know, he, he knows what it's like to lose a child and he doesn't want them, you know, he, he empathizes in that way and is trying to make amends for how he couldn't save Sarah. You know, that's his whole thing is he couldn't save Sarah, but he's gonna, you know, save other kids. And that's his goal now is to fix, kind of try to make amends with himself and forgive himself by saving other kids. And I, I, I love him for that. Like, I just, I love that about him. That's his, that's his driving force, you know? And so he always, you know, when it comes to finding Will, he always kind of associates it back to himself. And uh, when he saw Eleven's room, you know, he knows, like, I would not want my daughter, like, to live like this, you know? And he sees the stuffed animal and it reminds him of Sarah's, you know, and all this other stuff. So anyway uh yeah so they're talking about that in the car because she feels bad for terry too like sucks for her too you know and it does because she can't really even though 11 showed up and 11's not fine but you know she's alive and healthy like terry can't be her mother now you know brenner screwed that up so anyway and she's not just, like, catatonic because she's depressed. We'll see that in season two. But, you know, you might think that she's just, like, so upset about losing her daughter that she's catatonic. Which is a thing that could happen. But, um, that's not all. The drugs and stuff. We might assume watching season one, like, the drugs messed her up. But, uh, that's not really what happened either. So, anyway. Did he just call him Cal? So, like, Callahan comes over the radio. He's like, hey, Chief, a fight broke out here. And he's like, Cal, I don't have time for this. And he's like, it's Jonathan Byers. <laughs> he's like, you haven't seen Joyce, have you? And he looks over, like, Joyce is literally with him. And, like, <laughs> Hopper's not in his uniform, so I, I, is he off today? I don't know. But, anyway, he's in plain clothes. But he's got his Indiana Jones hat on. I, th I think, um, trivia, bit of trivia, I think, uh, David Harbour insisted on the Indiana Jones hat, which is like, okay, cool. But anyway, I like it. It's very Hopper. I wouldn't take this too much of flattery, Nancy. Flo gets some ice for, we're at the police station. Flo's getting some ice for Nancy to take to Jonathan where he's gotten a fight. He's barely hurt at all. Like, Steve is messed up in his face. Jonathan barely has anything. But, uh, so, <laughs> Flo's like, uh, Nancy's like, when do you think we're going to be out of here? She wants to go kill the monster, you know? And, uh, Flo's like, uh, you can leave probably pretty soon, but with him, it's going to be a while. He's, uh, he's assaulted a police officer, you know? Because he did. I mean, he kind of elbowed Callahan, so. Um, she's like, you and your boyfriend have big plans, do you? And Nancy's like, he's not my boyfriend. And Flo's like, you better tell him that, sweetheart. Only love makes you that crazy and that D-stupid. And it's like, um, I don't think that's the thing. He wasn't fighting over Nancy. I mean, Steve was. Steve was doing it because of Nancy, but Jonathan only, Jonathan was, like, walking away. He didn't, he's like, this is not my problem or my business. You know, Nancy, you deal with your own boyfriend. I, let's go. You know, we got things to do. When, when Jonathan, when Steve kept pushing him, he wasn't saying things about Nancy. He was saying things about Jonathan's family. Jonathan was fighting for his family, not Nancy. It's, it, you know, it, he didn't, it's not that he didn't care about Nancy or that he wouldn't, like, take up for her if necessary, but he didn't, he didn't think it was necessary because she was defending herself, you know? So it's like, uh, 
he wasn't fighting on behalf of Nancy. He was fighting on behalf of his family. Uh, Flo, you weren't there. You don't know. Um, but he does like Nancy, but I'm just saying, like, that's not why he fought Steve. He was fighting for his family. And Steve was pushing him, you know, and, and using his family in this, you know. So, yeah. So, but Nancy's all flattered by it. And it's like, oh, Jonathan likes me. <laughs> you like him too. But, I mean, they do like each other, but it's like, that's not what he was fighting about. And she takes the ice and, like, Jonathan's handcuffed, so she has to hold it to his face. And he's like, everything okay? And she's like, yeah, everything's fine. But they're like, there's tension and awkwardness. And then we go to the woods. And this girl... <laughs> she stole four boxes of Eggo waffles. They're all open around her and seemingly empty. Girl, you ate four boxes of Eggos? Four boxes? That's a lot. That's a lot. Did you cook them? Do you have mind powers? Like, does your cow... Like, can she cook things with her mind? I, I don't know, but... <laughs> you're eating frozen waffles. I, four boxes. Eleven. That's a lot. How are you not sick? <laughs> That's a lot of freaking waffles. <laughs> She's just sitting in the woods, minding her own business, eating waffles straight out of the box. <laughs> and I'm like, this is the kind of don't give a crap attitude I need. And then she, uh, she's like, I am done. I am tired of this bullcrap. And then uh, she hears the boys yelling for her, and like she, they, they're yelling her name and stuff, and she, she hears them. So Dustin and Mike are looking for Eleven, and uh, they hear a noise, and then Troy and James come up over, the bullies <coughs> come up over the hill, and they're like, uh, hey there, frog face, toothless, and like, Troy has a pocket knife, and he flips it open, and they start chasing them, and they just, like, Dustin and Mike just, like, drop their bikes and take off running away from them, and they're, like, running from these boys, and then we go back to Lucas, and he's still trying to figure out how the heck, where is the gate, you know, because it's, he he's watching the compass on his bike and it keeps changing if he goes around the fence at the lab so he figures out it's inside this fence you know because he's smart too they're all nerds they're all smart <laughs> and then lucas climbs a tree and like gets his binoculars out <laughs> he looks like a true little soldier dude it's so cute and he's binoculars and looks into what's in this gate and looks at the um lab you know he's like watching the lab like what is going on in there and then he sees army like tanks big trucks you know army type trucks and stuff and he's like oh and then he sees the hawkins power and electric van the one that, that was like sitting outside his house and he remembers like oh they've been sitting around watching us like he's putting all this information together you know what i mean and it's 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 very smart of him, and I love this. <laughs> so, James and, well, Troy is chasing um, Mike and Dustin, and they end up at the quarry thing where there's, like, a cliff, you know, that cliff that hangs over the quarry that Hopper said if you jumped off it, you'd die instantly. And he's right about that. <laughs> and uh, people complain about Mike, and I have personally complained about Mike only at 11, but my gosh. Okay, so... <laughs> Um, James comes up around the other side and cuts them off at the pass. Heads them off at the pass. I hate that cliche. That's from Blazing Saddles. Never mind. Um, <laughs> sorry. But he, James cuts them off. He comes out in front of them, and they have to stop. And, like, Dustin has a cramp anyway, and Mike's like, just keep running! And, like, it just so happens that 
James cuts them off right here, right by this cliff that hangs out over this quarry. And so Mike grabs a rock and Dustin grabs a stick and they're like trying to defend themselves. Mike throws the rock and it just like barely goes anywhere. And like, he's like, nice throw. Like, gee, you suck. And uh, Mike's just like, and then <laughs> Dustin like yells and tries to attack Troy with a stick. And Troy just like grabs him and like, it takes his pocket knife and like basically has it at his throat. And, um, uh, Mike's like, let him go, let him go. And he's like, tell me what I want to know or I'll cut him. And he's like, what? He's like, how did you do it? And Mike's like, how did I do what? He's like, made me pee myself. And like, obviously, you know, and so oh, this is getting intense. Like these bullies are freaking intense. And Dustin kind of just like comes out with it. He's like, our friend has superpowers and she squeezed your tiny bladder with her mind. And Mike looks at him like, don't be saying that. And then Troy's like, I think we should save Toothless here a trip to the dentist. And he threatens to cut his teeth out of his gums. And I'm like, what kind of bullies are you? These are, like, borderline serial killers here. Like, you have an actual knife. This is dangerous. What is wrong with you? <laughs> You're teenage bullies. You shouldn't be this violent. I mean, this is a lot. This is extreme. I mean, this is intense. And Troy tells Mike, like, it's your turn to wet yourself. And he's like, what do you mean? And he's like, jump. He wants him to jump off this freaking cliff, essentially killing himself, or he's going to cut Dustin's baby teeth out of his mouth. And, like, Dustin's like, okay, hold on, hold on. And it's like, uh, you're not doing this. You can't jump off a cliff. And Dustin's like, Mike, no, I don't need my baby teeth. Mike, I don't need them. Just, just, you know, and it's like, oh, my gosh, man. It would be worse. Like, it's worse. You know what I mean? Like, I agree with Dustin in a way. It's like, it would be better to... It's not better, but, like, you know, it's just, don't let Troy do that. But also, like, don't jump off a cliff. Like, Mike, no. And he freaking walks over there, and, like, Dustin is begging him, Mike, don't do it, please, don't do it. Because it's like, you will die. He will, if he did it, if he did it, he would die, you know, and he know they all know that. I'm like, what kind of bullies are you? You're literally telling a kid to jump off a cliff, an actual cliff. I think it's funny because later Ted Wheeler asks Mike, like, if your friends jumped off a cliff, would you do it? And I'm like, he'd jump off his cliff. He, he already did that before any of them. <laughs> For them. And it's like, if you don't think Mike is a true friend, I don't know what show you're watching. You didn't see this scene because what the heck, Mike? He's he's at the edge of this, like, cliff. Do Dustin's begging him, don't do it. Even James is like, Troy, I don't think this is a good idea, man. Because it's like, he will die. You guys realize that, right? Like, that's not nothing. This ain't bullying. This is murder. Amazingly, Mike jumps off. And, uh, it's just so amazing. And you hear him yelling, but then it stops. Like, the yelling stops. And they all just, like, run over there. Even, you know, Troy, James, and Dustin, all three. Like, Troy just abandons cutting you know, Dustin, and just, like, runs over there, and they stop and look over the edge, and Dustin's like, holy, S-H-I-T. And, like, the camera pans down, and we see that Mike is just hanging in the air, just, like, flat out, just, like, hanging in the air, like, in the midair, and then we do, like, a wide shot, and we see, like, you know, how he's, like, halfway down the cliff, just hanging in midair, and they're all, like, watching, like, what the heck. And he jerks up and starts floating up backwards, and, like, he he floats over top of the three boys that are watching him and lands on the ground. And, like, he looks over. 
and and his eyebrows go up and he sees badass of the day little 11 walking down the road just like uh-uh nah, uh not on my watch boys uh-uh and mike looks at her like holy crap and they're all just like staring at her <coughs> and she just is walking towards them like a badass with this badass music playing on the soundtrack <laughs> dustin smiles when he sees her she's got blood hanging out her nose coming out of her nose and she's just walking like uh, she looks so mad i love it <laughs> and uh she walks up and like suddenly james is pushed backwards and falls on the ground and then uh troy the hand that has the arm that's you know the hand where he's holding the knife she tilts her head a little bit and that arm just breaks and the knife falls down and and he's like ah my arm she broke my arm and she's just like go and so they take off running and dustin's like that's right you better run because she's our friend and she's crazy you come back here messing with us and she'll kill you you hear me and then we kind of zoom in on 11 and she's like kind of fainting she's feeling faint i don't know if it's from overexertion of like saving mike or just like stress all around like and and thinking about her own like stuff you know that she's been going through mentally having these flashbacks and uh, she just, like, passes out into a flashback. She passes out into a flashback, and we're back in the black void, and she's tiny, and she sees nothing but the Demogorgon, and it's feeding on something. This is the scene where it's feeding on a giant egg, and I'm like, what is, what, what comes out of this egg is what I want to know. Oh, and yeah, we hear a clock ticking. Oh yeah, there's a talk, there's a ticking clock. Just want to make everybody aware of that. There's a ticking clock in this scene where he it's very obvious. Uh, I never knew what that sound was exactly. I thought maybe it was part of the Demogorgon like eating, but it's not really. It's a ticking clock. And uh, what, what, I mean, I think this egg is going to be a factor, honestly, because we've seen like this egg. Later, we see this egg in the upside down. It's like a giant egg. It's about the size of it. It's like almost the size of the Demogorgon itself. And it's an egg, and he's eating the egg. Like, the Demogorgon is feeding on the egg. What hatches out of this egg is what I want to know, and I think we're probably going to see it in the next season. I mean, surely. But anyway, she walks slowly towards the Demogorgon, and it does not know she's there, you know? And oh my gosh. She's finishing the flashback from earlier when she got put in the bath. This is what Hopper wanted her to... Or, to no, not Hopper. Brenner wanted her to go make contact with this thing. She touches it. <laughs> she touches it. And it's like, wow. And uh, it turns around and, like, its mouth is open. It's its big flower head. You know, I think this might be the first time we've seen its mouth open. Maybe maybe we did with Joyce, too. But I can't remember. But anyway. So it's it turns around and, like, growls at her. And she starts screaming. And she's, you know, her eyes are open in the bath now. And she's, like, screaming. Blood's pouring out of her nose. She's, like, screaming. The alarm starts blaring. Things keep... Like, all the monitors around her are, like, going off and crazy, and there's, like, all crazy noisy stuff in the lab. <sighs> Hop I keep saying Hopper. It's not his fault. Brenner sent her in here to do this, and he told her to make contact, and that's... I mean, she... He told her to make contact, and it's like, this is his fault. She, you know... And he told her, like, can't hurt you in there. Well, you know... He just, yeah, he knew. He knew what he was doing. Um, yeah, no, this ain't good. There's like a basic earthquake happening at the lab, and the wall just starts splitting in half. I mean, just completely. 
And then we go back out of the flashback and Mike is like hovering over her being like Elle and she's like crying. Her nose is bloody and she's laying there crying on the ground. That's <laughs> so sad. And she's like, Mike, I'm sorry. She's been felt she they they have treated her kind of like garbage a little bit. She wasn't mad at them the whole time she was like hiding from them or out in the woods. She was feeling guilty. <sighs> to people that don't like her, I don't like you seriously. But uh she's like, Mike, I'm sorry and he's like, Sorry, what are you sorry for? And she's like, The gate. I opened it. I'm the monster. <laughs> oh she she still struggles with this. Still to this day. And Mike's like, no, no, Elle, you're not the monster. You saved me. Do you get that? You saved my life. And she did, you know, and oh, it's so sad. So he pulls her up and, like, starts hugging her. And she's, and then, like, Dustin lowers himself and starts hugging both of them. And they're in this little huddle of friendship. <laughs> this is a friendship huddle, and I love it. They're in this, like, three-way hug of friendship and love. And I love it. I love it. Yes, this is exactly what you want to see. But Mike's like, you saved me. And, and she did and he's like you're not the monster <sighs> she needs to hear this more man like seriously because she feels like garbage because she unintentionally did open the gate but it's like girl no your papa is the one that did that crap he he forced you into it basically <sighs> and and you know, she didn't know it was going to happen. He he forced a little child to go contact a freaking monster from another dimension. What kind of person does that? Like, he knew. And he still, like, told her to do that. Like, what kind of monster is he? Brenner's the monster. Anyway, so they're hugging and it's really sweet. I love this scene. I love this scene so much. This is so epically, like just one of the main best scenes of like the entire season one it's like it's like one of those uh i don't know what you call it one of those uh highlights of season one really is just their little hug there and that whole scene of of her like that's a really big you know memorable scene from season one is like mike hanging in the air after he jumped off a cliff just for dustin's teeth you know what i mean it's like i mean which Troy cutting them out would have been horrifically awful, but, you know, Mike did not hardly hesitate at all to just go freaking jump off a cliff for his friend, you know? So it's like, that's what kind of friend Mike is. He will jump off a freaking cliff for his friends. Like, he's like that. <laughs> and yeah, he, he, you know, he yelled at Eleven, which I was, like, mad about, <laughs> but, like, you know, it's complicated because he is a good friend, though. He really is. Anyway, so they walk back to Mike's house and they're, they're like, pushing their bikes and uh, they go back into the basement. But what they don't realize is that there's a Hawkins lab van setting outside because it says it's Hawkins, like, electric, power and electric. They think it's just a power truck. It's just standing there watching it and this guy working there, or sitting in the van, is like, I have eyes on them now, they're heading home. And it's like, holy crap. And he sees Eleven, you know, they're, they're spotted and they're walking into the van, uh, basement and at the lab, people are pulling out guns upon guns upon guns and Brenner and a bunch of people are like stomping out, getting into vans, getting ready to take off. And, uh, we see this through binocular lenses that the vans are pulling off and like, then we see Lucas's face and Lucas looks terrified and the vans are like pulling in, you know, pulling down the road in the suburb area 
but Lucas has seen them like pulling out. So he's like, he he's figured this all out himself, you know, like, Oh, that's why I saw the van. They're coming after 11, you know, blah, blah, blah. This is where she came from. This is where the gate is, blah, 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 blah. Like he knows, you know, he's figured it all out. He put it all together himself alone, <laughs> which dang, that's smart, honestly. So yeah. So we see the vans going toward Mike's house and Lucas has seen them and blah, blah, blah. Mike and Dustin go into the basement and Eleven just like stops and takes another look around one more time before she goes in the basement and the door closes and it's like I like how Mike's basement is like you have to go downstairs from the inside but there's also like part of it is not underground on the back and there's like a door that's just like not underground so you can get into you know what I'm saying like I like those kind of houses because it's like only partially underground, you know? But anyway. And next episode is called, it's chapter 7, The Bathtub. It's called The Bathtub and it's the pen, it's the actual penultimate episode. Um, it started already, but I gotta, nope, we're not watching it yet. <laughs> gotta wait. So, that was episode 6, um, The Monster. And who is the monster? Eleven thinks it's her. A lot of people call it, are talking about the Demogorgon like it's the monster, but really it's just an animal. Um, the actual monster, I think in these episodes, in season one, is Dr. Brenner. So, yeah. <laughs> That's my opinion. Um, <clears throat> and throughout, I, I still agree with that. And, uh, I mean, ultimately. Ultimately, he's the top, he's the bad guy, you know? He started all this. He... You know, kind of. I mean, I'm not going to get into other things. Because I feel like the Demogorgon being an animal means that it's not intentionally... You know, how much intentions does it have? Is it just being an animal and, and hunting? Because we can't fault an animal for being an animal, you know? Even if it's dangerous, we can't really say that it has bad intentions if we don't know if it has any intentions, if it's just an animal that's hunting. You know, so how much of this is intentional by the Demogorgon? You know what I mean? Is it just an animal? Does it have feelings? Does it know things? I mean, it does have telekinesis, and it did possibly, I mean, something opened Will's door, you know, pulled the, you know, telekinetically opened the chain lock on his door. So was that the Demogorgon? You know what I mean? How intelligent is it? You know? Um... Anyway, that was that episode, and um, like I said, I might take a little break after season one and do like a movie or two, and then go back to doing season two. Season two is going to be rough for me because it's it actually triggers my own PTSD a lot. It's very hard to watch for me, <laughs> some parts of it, and um, <clears throat> you know, so, but I'm going to get, well, we'll, well, I'll get through it. <laughs> It'll be fine. <laughs> I'm going to do it for you guys. Um, but anyway, like, I want to. You know, I like this. But, yeah, I think I'll do something lighthearted in between. Maybe girls just want to have fun. That's the one I couldn't think of earlier. Girls just want to have fun. I want to I wanna podcast about that movie because it's 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 something else. It's, it's very important to my childhood. And it's just fun and great. <laughs> um, it's just classic, really. When everybody else was into, like, dirty dancing, I was like, nah, I like girls just want to have fun. It gives the girls a lot more, 
you know, it's just, just, I feel like it's a lot more feminist of a movie, of a dance movie than Dirty Dancing, you know, it's not all about a boy, it's about a girl, you know, it's kind of like Little Mermaid-esque in the way that, like, it's not about her wanting to go be with a boy, it's about her wanting to get out from underneath her father's thumb, you know, and that's how girls just want to have fun is, and that's how Little Mermaid is, even though there is a love interest it's not ultimately about him, you know? It's more about her relationship to her father and seeking her own independence, you know? So, but we're not podcasting about that movie yet. Um, that's just me talking about it off the top of my head. I haven't really even thought about that until just now. <laughs> this is kind of my first take. But anyway, um, Stranger Things, okay? Next episode, penultimate episode. There's eight episodes in season one. This season is perfect. I have not seen anything that I would change, really, you know, as far as making the show, you know, some of the characters don't agree with some of the things they say and blah, 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 obviously, but obviously there's bad guys in it, but um, as a writer and, and, a, and a person who watches a lot of TV critically, um, I have not one complaint about the way this is made or written or anything so far at all. Uh, season one to me is just absolutely perfect from beginning to end. Every second, every decision, every soundtrack moment, every sound design, cinematography, like literally down to the outfits. Everything's perfect. I have not one complaint. <laughs> I'm serious. It's perfect. It's literally perfect. Um, I might have complaints later on about other seasons, just like overarching like, things, like, I like the smaller budget of season one, I like how it feels, you know, more, the stakes feel more real, because of the smaller budget, because it feels so isolated in this one little town, you know, I like that, anyway, um, what quote, <laughs> you guys, I think I'm gonna have to go with it, monster hunting, see you guys next time.